0: Greetings, freaks! Thank you for tuning in to. I think this is going to be episode four of the Death Comes Lifting Tales from the Lift podcast. As always, I'm Zach, and I'm joined by a uh, great friend of mine. He is a not only is he a trainer, manager, crypt keeper, and operator at the gym I work at, CrossFit Saint Clair slash Saint Clair Fitness, coolest gym of all time. He's a father just an all-around badass inspirational dude and uh after hearing his story you'll think a whole lot more of him what's up josh what's up man introduce yourself thanks for having me on thank you for doing this man you're the best yeah i'm josh mcintyre i
1: manage st Clair fitness which has a crossfit program in it and a sports performance uh school that we call st Clair speed school Zach works there. He's a friend of mine, and I know what he's up to with this podcast and his Death Comes Lifting brand overall, and I was really happy and honored he asked to have me on, so
0: I'm excited. Couldn't be more excited, brother, honestly. Like, um, as we were talking about this before, so just to give everybody background, when I first started as a personal trainer, I was like kind of doing it on my own, then I met up with uh, this other woman named Dee. Worked for her, and we merged into St. Clair Fitness, where you had already established yourself. You brought up the gym. You basically took it from nothing to a little bit of something, and now it's just gone to a level where better than I got there three years ago. It's awesome what you've done with it. Yeah,
1: Yeah, thank you. I believe I met you guys in 2015. Yeah. So I had gotten there in July of 2013, and it was... Pretty much, almost an abandoned racquetball club. There was a group of guys who played racquetball in the morning, and a handful of guys that played at night, and maybe a handful of guys that lifted in a small free weight area, you know, off to the side. And other than that, it was it was a pretty rundown. Like I said, looked like it was an abandoned gym. Right. So I came in and interviewed for the job, and with the old owners, talked about removing the racquetball courts and you know putting a CrossFit program on one side and doing sports performance, speed and agility, strength and conditioning with young athletes, middle school, high school and college age on the other side. So that's what we did. And, it, you know, things started to work out well. And we had right. a gentleman that worked for us for like one day a week at the desk. He told me he worked at this other place, this personal training studio, and that their building was sold and they were looking for somewhere to go. So I asked him to introduce me to the owner, D. Barker. And we made a deal for her to bring her staff and her clients down to our gym. And that's when I met Zach.
2: Right.
0: And uh, what was your first impression of me when I walked through the <laughs> doors of St. Clair Fitness? <laughs> so um, how do I put
1: this? So when you're running a gym and you have trainers out on the floor who are, they're basically there to represent your business and, you know. They're the face of the place, so to speak. And when Zach was there, he the first day I saw him, he had a long ponytail with the sides of his head shaved. And it was pulled back in a ponytail God damn right. with a Bruce Lee Kung Fu shirt on. Yeah. And he was kind of just Zen walking around the gym. And I just <laughs> I remember looking at him. I'm just like, what type of cat is this? What type of dude is this? Either the Kung Fu and ponytail stuff was completely fucked up. Or, this dude was awesome. Were were my two thoughts when I first, I guess, laid eyes on you. And still battling this
0: decision four years later. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all.
1: I have yeah. I'm not confused about who you are at all. But uh, yeah. So I, I you know I walked over, introduced myself, and very quickly I realized I liked you, and we had a lot of the same interests as far as like pop culture and things like that just real weird dungeons and dragons stuff and you know the original trilogy of star wars and and all that stuff so we got down pretty quick and we vibed out quick
0: yeah it was one of those things when i met you i was like okay this dude knows what's up i feel like i can be myself i feel like this is cool because when you walk into a new environment like we just moved into this i was in a small personal training studio very like like you know, I talk to 25 people a day, whereas you walk into the St. Clair Fitness, where we work, it's like a main, not a mainstream gym, but like people walk in and out, you see like a hundred people a day, get to meet all the trainers. I'm like, this dude runs like a legit gym. Is he going to be a fucking douchebag? Is he going to try to talk to me <laughs> right. about the Steelers? Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And, uh, <laughs> he's doing it. You're in the middle of the cross, a CrossFit workout. The first time I ever met you, it was just me and D that came through, like before we even moved there officially. And like. I liked immediately how you stopped your workout to come over and talk to me because a true CrossFit jock man would never do that. Yeah, yeah. You jumped down, you like and took his weight belt off or whatever, and I saw he had a tattoo, which I was like, all right, this dude rules. And he, <laughs> I was like, okay, that's a, that's a safe zone. And uh, yeah, as soon as you knew, I was like, yep, yeah, I can tell you were from the city. First time I talked to you, it's like yeah, have that about you, so I'm like, okay, this guy's a real guy. And then we got chopping up about i think you complimented me on my uncle acid t-shirt one time mm-hmm. and then i was like yeah. all right this dude knows this dude knows things we talked about star wars and anybody that can bring those two worlds together it was an eye-opener for me honestly because like i never met anybody like you in the fitness world that like was into nerdy shit and so i was super comfortable with you and uh still am obviously
1: yeah thank you i well it, to that point i think it's Number one, I always like characters and I could tell like you were definitely a character and this dude had a story. Yeah. So whenever it comes to trainers in general and, and fitness professionals, and not that this is true, but sometimes it can have, you know, a negative connotation of just, you know, you're a trainer, you're in shape, you're kind of self involved and mm-hmm. selfish narcissistic dude, and you could be a douche and want to talk about the Steelers and that's it, or maybe your tribal tattoo around your bicep or whatever. Yeah, straight up. But uh it always Is kind of like at the front of my mind when I meet people to try and make them feel as comfortable as possible very quickly and let them know I'm not that. I don't know why I feel like I have to do that, but that's part of it for me is like someone's walking in. They don't know you, whether it's their first time at the gym and they're looking for a membership and maybe they're intimidated. They're not used to the environment. Maybe they don't like themselves, whatever. Or If I'm meeting another trainer and he doesn't know me uh, one of the first things I like to do is just put people's mind at ease and let them know, like, it's cool. You're not going to be judged. You're accepted here. And that's kind of the, the way I've approached running that gym and, and the way I approach people in general when I meet them, you know, I like, well, yeah, that's, it's important to me that, yeah, it's important to me that people feel appreciated because everybody likes that. And I, I don't like when I feel like, uh, I'm not treated fairly or just brushed off or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. And I've always appreciated when someone takes the time and I feel like they're being genuine with me and just very courteous. So I I really like to do that with people. I think that's one of the most important things we can do as humans when interacting with one another is take the time and genuinely, you know, say hello to this person and, 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 you know, say, hey, it's nice to see you and I care about you. And Right. That sort of thing.
0: Well, that has to be the secret weapon to the success of the gym. How you took it from nothing to something was like, you know, obviously it was hard work. It was numbers. It was this. It was that. But like, if you're missing that, then you're missing everything.
1: That's that is the secret sauce. I mean, it's I'm no I have no education in marketing or any of that stuff. And it's not like we had some sort of budget behind a big marketing plan or even a plan to begin with, because we didn't have one. I just knew right. I wanted the gym to have certain programs and feel a certain way. I wanted it to be a place where I would want to work out. And if we did anything right, it was building a culture and a membership of people like that, that, you know, like me, like want to be treated right. And want to come to a gym that isn't a, a a globo gym, so to speak, where it's like, Hey, there's relationships here and people know each other. And when you
0: walk in, someone knows your name, right? Yeah. That's, that's, that's what that place is. Yeah. And that's inspirational. And I, I, don't think I ever told you this before, but like being how you are in that gym was like uh, so inspirational to me when I first started working there and cutting my teeth in the real quote unquote industry and things and translates directly into what I do with Death Comes Lifting. It's just how you were with people and how uh, you made everybody so comfortable and we fitness for the misfits, right? So I want the, everybody to feel accepted like they can work out, like they can walk into a gym. And, um, you know, you're just, we so good with, me with everybody like that. That that's just. If it wasn't for you, kind of mentoring me like that, I don't think I would do as well as I do with this shit. Thanks, man. I re- really appreciate that and about you.
1: Thank you. Yeah, yeah, that that makes me feel good. Mission accomplished.
0: Right. Yeah. and so that and our mission now is to pay that forward to other people. Absolutely. And hopefully this podcast will help inspire others, and uh, if we can start getting into your backstory a little bit about. Why you are the way you are, and why you like the shit you like, and how you got to be in the fitness world, and how anybody could do that too, and that's a that's a cool place to segue into this, you know, because it's pretty intensive, and it's pretty inspirational. Yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) No, no pressure, no setup at all.
1: Um, I guess I'll just, you know, I'll take you where you grew up. Yeah, where I grew up and. Kind of how I got to where I'm yeah, at man. now sitting yeah, here take, talking to you
0: take your time we're not there's no no commercial breaks we're good so uh i'm
1: I'm the grandson of a an Italian immigrant and he raised his family in the Highland Park East Liberty neighborhood of Pittsburgh. He came over when he was twenty years old you know, was a construction guy and raised a family here and did really well for himself. So we all settled in that neighborhood, which is a pretty Italian American neighborhood at the time over in uh, East Liberty. So when my mom and dad met, they, you know, they married and they, they moved into her grandfather's house and he lived in the back apartment and we lived on the house on Stan Avenue in uh, Highland Park, East Liberty. I mean, typical, you know, Italian American family might, uh, my last name is is Scottish, but that side of our family didn't it, – it wasn't a big side of the family. We didn't spend a ton of time with it, so we were raised with Italian-American culture. You know, big Sunday dinners at my grandparents' house, all of that. And my mom and dad met at church, so they're Christians. And that was a big part of our life, and I grew up in the church in Homestead. And my dad started his own business. He's an electrician around the time I was six years old. And they moved into Homestead. They moved us over to Homestead at that time, Lower Munhall more specifically. So if you're familiar with just that area, the Steel Valley, the entire avenue that runs all the way through from Sandcastle down to the end of the waterfront where the Marcia Jaglia plants are, the big blue steel buildings, that's all Steel Valley Uh, on the west end, which is Sandcastle. That's West Homestead, the middle is Homestead, and then the far end from the library down roughly is Lower Munhall, but most people, when they drive through there, will just think they're in Homestead the whole time. But anyway, we we moved over to there. My mom was very, my mother and father were very involved in the church over there, so they moved closer because they spent so much time there. So my brothers and I were raised over there.
0: Uh, how Thought to interrupt you, but how would you describe that area for someone that's not familiar with the Pittsburgh area, like to relate it to another neighborhood or something like that?
1: That's... Yeah, so uh, if you're not from Pittsburgh, you're probably familiar with the fact that Pittsburgh is called the Steel City. This particular neighborhood of Homestead at one time produced 80% of the world's steel. And it's been said that, like,
0: about that. yeah, sure. Cuba,
1: that's, that's I think, during the Cuban Missile Crisis, had missiles pointed at Homestead. I don't know if any of that's true, but that's what people from Homestead Probably like to tell each true. other.
0: Yeah. <laughs> One of those Pittsburgh, like, tough guy things. Like, yeah, we had missiles at us, motherfucker. Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's
1: just this giant mill town neighborhood, right? I mean, the neighborhood wouldn't exist if the mill wasn't built there. Andrew Carnegie built the Homestead Steelworks there. So anyways, I think it was in the 70s the mills left and... What you know, that neighborhood was abandoned, and you know the infrastructure and economy that built it up was gone. So, you know, it turned into a pretty poor neighborhood. There's nothing really going on there, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of there was a lot of drugs and crime. It was a very just old, rundown Pittsburgh blue collar neighborhood. And uh, I grew up on a street called Ravine Street, which is exactly what it sounds like. It was just a gutter, it, it ran right into the Monongahela River. Right on the edge of uh, where the steel mills were. And uh, I remember my. there was a park at the end of the street, at the end of Ravine Street, in the corner of 8th Avenue. There was a park, and it was always filled with people. I mean, this is before cell phones and all that stuff. So when you wanted to hang out with your friends, you just went down the street. That's where everybody was at. They were at the playground. And in this playground, this little particular neighborhood was kind of closed off from the rest of Lower Munhall Homestead and West Homestead. And it happened to just be uh, very poor white people, and you know, white trash neighborhood. And it had like this weird little identity of just kind of being racist, so to speak. Uh, they, you know, it was just some under the trailer living white people, just like yeah, <laughs> the dude, Texas Chainsaw, still Texas <laughs> Chainsaw Massacre. Just yes. poor white people. We know, we know that. Yeah, some people have called it like Baby West Virginia. If yeah. that. I don't know, sheds any light on it. but anyway, down at the end of the street, I always really liked to play basketball, and I would dribble my basketball down to this playground. and I mean, they would kick the basketball in the crick. You had to play street hockey. so we we were allowed to be included in what was going on down. There. there was a lot of older guys, but we had to play street hockey. So I grew up playing street hockey down there. And I remember we'd beg our parents to let us go down and they finally started letting us go down. And I think I was around seven or eight the first time I walked down the end of the street. It's packed with people and there's a lot going on. There's street hockey going on. I remember uh, someone started yelling over by the creek, which is right across from the playground, that there was just commotion. I wasn't really sure what was happening. I was so young. And then this giant fight broke out and there was like 20 people fist fighting in the middle of this playground and it was nuts. And I remember looking at my brothers and we were all just kind of standing there frozen in shock and. All we said at the end of it was, we can't tell mom and dad what happened down here, or else we won't
0: be allowed back. Nice. And that, that just <laughs> kind of set the scene for the type of neighborhood we were living in. So, so was that commonplace then from then on to see shit like that? And like, do you just kind of grew up with that in your background. It was, it was, uh,
1: it was a neighborhood that kind of governed itself. The cops never came down there. Nobody called the cops. It was one of those neighborhoods where they're suspicious of the cops and, mm-hmm. It was one of those neighborhoods too. You had to fist fight. You kind of if somebody called you out, and if you didn't stick up for yourself, whether you got beat up or won the fight, didn't matter. As long as you stood up for yourself, you were good. Right. If you didn't, you were kind of shunned. Right, and you, you, you just didn't go oh, you just got roasted. Yeah, right, you couldn't yeah, even come out imagine. of your house anymore. So you were better off standing up for yourself. So I learned that from a really young age. It was just it, it was it was different than the way I see kids grow up now. It was,
0: for better and for worse, I guess. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously you turned out great, <laughs> but, uh, that's an important lesson to learn, right? Yeah. Have that, like you probably wouldn't trade your upbringing from violence and all that stuff for anything, right? No. And I mean, other than, you know, the play, you know,
1: the, the neighborhood being rough and poor. And I mean, I had a, I had a good childhood. My parents were involved in the church. We went to Bible school. I was up there on Sundays and, you know, my dad was a very hardworking guy he my mother was a hardworking woman she was a stay-at-home mom and they raised us right with manners we prayed together at night it was it was a very good upbringing yeah Yeah. we it was in a tough neighborhood we had a really good upbringing and i'm very thankful for it because it's it's really that foundation has paid off at this point in my life and we can kind of get back to how that happened but so uh you know, I used to go to work with my. Started going to work with my dad when I was around nine, ten years old. He taught me good work ethic. I had to work for any money I wanted. If I wanted penny candy money, and pocket money for the store, or money for new shoes for the school year, I had to go to work with my dad. So, I remember I hated it, but I'm really grateful today that you know I have that foundation. So, yeah. uh, was he an electrician?
0: Yeah, always. Yeah, yeah. So that was the kind of blue collar shit you were doing from a young age.
1: Yeah, me and my brothers and. Yeah. We, we we always had each other as as far as that stuff goes uh, with family. My brothers and I are all like a year or so apart and we were, we were always pretty tight. And right around when I was 12 or 13, you know, my parents got divorced. And now that I look back, I can kind of realize that I didn't know how to deal with that when I was young. I, I really didn't know how to address it. And I kind of began acting out. I started getting into drinking, doing drugs and you yeah. know, not not wanting to go to school, getting in fist fights at school.
0: And it's typical, uh, man. I mean, my parents are divorced too. I think you hear that a lot is um you know, a lot of people might not have the most traumatic or violent upbringing, but if your parents divorce at a young age, that does something to you and I don't really know what it is, but I'm not that smart, but it definitely has an effect. Especially so what do you think that is.
1: It, well, especially with the foundation they had set.
0: With. Right. It wasn't like you were growing up in chaos and they were fist fighting each other. Or they could come home drunk and scream. You had like good morals, good morals. My, yeah. you know, they taught us we had,
1: we had good Christian values and we prayed together. Like I said before. And yeah, in uh that probably threw
0: I, you for a loop. Or it did. I couldn't
1: yeah. make sense of it. I, I guess I, I remember being angry at God and not, not understanding why, like this isn't supposed to happen. To people like us, families like us, right? right? You you pray, and he answers your prayers, and good things happen to good people. Was is, is kind of how I saw it. But so I had all this. I had a lot of uh, resentment, and I had a chip on my shoulder for the for the rest of my teenage years. So my you know my mom moved out, and uh, we all my brothers and I mm-hmm. moved in with my mom, and she hadn't she hadn't worked in so long. She had been married for you know, 13 years at this point, And, you know, she was struggling to find a job and we were on food stamps and she would, she was kind of embarrassed. So she would send us to the store with the food stamps. This is back when you used to rip them out of a little tablet that looks like a checkbook. Uh, and it a looked, food stamp card my mom <laughs> gave me. So, Yeah, good. this is back in the day, if anybody remembers it, the dollar had a certain color and a $5 bill. It was like Monopoly money, right? Nice. You would go to the store. So I watched, uh, then I watched my, my mom, you know she she began to drink heavily and that was that was hard to see and that that really affected me and then at a certain point my mom she couldn't care for us anymore and uh you know we we had to move back in with my my dad so you know we're down on Ravine Street living in this house with my dad and i was expelled from school for fighting every single year and uh he started seeing a lady and To make a long story short, she had two kids. You know, he moved her in and doesn't always go well. No, we were at odds. We were at odds with the situation and in my in my father's defense, you know, my brother and I weren't we weren't doing anything right. We were both at this point we were selling drugs, we were selling weed, and uh, we're both expelled from school. My brother Jordan had gotten and my older brother Nathan had both gotten locked up. in, in in juvie, both spent time in Schumann and in George Jr. Republic up in Grove city. So there was times where they weren't even around. And, uh, when, when I was about 16, 17, again, I was expelled from school and I was selling weed and I come home one day and, you know, my dad's new wife and, and him wanted to have a talk with me. You know, she had found my scale and like a quarter pound of weed and you know, I had a, I had a bad attitude. and My attitude was like, "Fuck it, fuck you." I'll go out on my own anyways. They wanted me to leave, so I left. Probably would have done the same thing, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so,
1: and, and I didn't care. I was I was at the point where I was, yeah, I, I felt like I I had some kind of career in selling drugs. You know, like so many people.
0: And your older brothers weren't with you at this point. They were now, away.
1: My older brother was. Uh, my older brother was in. He was down in Mount Washington, staying with friends, and my little brother Jordan was still there, and my little sister Hannah. Oh, okay. I had a little sister Hannah; she was nine years younger than me. Okay. So she was there, and uh, so I moved out. I moved in with a buddy in an apartment down in West Homestead, and uh, you know I was expelled from school, and I was. In my head I thought I had it made. I had my own I had my own place, a place for us to like all my friends to drink. We didn't have to drink in the woods anymore and run from the cops. And mm-hmm. I was selling weed and I was making money. Always had new shoes on my feet. The American and, dream, baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh you know, at at this time a lot of my friends started getting into the oxies. And uh mm-hmm. you know, I swore that I would never never get into it. I watched what it did to some of some of like some of the strongest people I knew. How it just you know, it took their life over and it's damaging they're, Yeah, they're stealing and they just, you know, they turned into dope fiends. And I was like, I'm never going to be a dope fiend because we grew up making fun of the dope fiends, crackheads. You know, yeah. we clowned on the, crack, uh, the crackheads and dope fiends.
0: Did you have your neighborhood crackheads that you aspired not to be in the whole thing? And, For sure. Yeah, really? Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. So I just would hang out at the playground all day. You know, play street yeah. hockey. See at this point, I had, won, I had won some of the older people over, and we were actually playing basketball at this point. But I <laughs> no, sold I drugs. I answered my pager, used the pay phone at the corner, and I sold weed and pills all day.
0: Uh, uh, I taught you a lot of things, though, in a way, right? Yeah, it, I did. I, people skills or, you know, looking back on that. Do you see that? Yeah. Right. Yeah, right? I learned how to adjust my... Uh,
1: so, like, with interacting with certain people, like... If you're talking to a certain person, you can kind of feel out what type of person they are. So you know what type of person you have to be in that given situation. And if you're in a different neighborhood, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: And we do that probably every day. Right. You know, whether you realize it or not. And I was also
1: at this point, there was a, there was a group of guys who would go out and rob places on the weekend and do certain things. And, uh, I was young and they would take me as a lookout. Wow. And I would I would be a lookout for some of these guys. And uh, so I was into all sorts of crazy, crazy, like criminal stuff at a young age that I didn't think was weird because it was a neighborhood norm. Like everybody had their hustle. And it was just kind of one of those things I was I was into. It wasn't like, hey, you know, you, you, you go to college. Like I'm just expelled from, you know, you, you stay on a course. If I go to high school, I go to college. And then like, you know, I'm going to, you know, then get a career. And it, that just that wasn't reality to me. The Reality was people gambling in the yard next to the park, people selling drugs. This dude sold Coke. This dude sold weed. This dude sold pills. Everybody had their hustle. And Mm -hmm. we just lived for that day. Like, you know, we, we hustled all day. We made money. We got beer, liquor that night and smoked. We smoked weed and blondes down in the playground and just woke up. Right, yeah, wash rinse, repeat. We did it every
0: day, especially at that age. You might as well be a fucking tiger, like a wild animal when you're a fucking sixteen seventeen year old dude full of testosterone and whatever the fuck else, you know, that's yeah, but yeah, you know, that's what you you didn't you don't even have the capacity to see the future at that age, nah, and yeah. it was
1: just like if you you sold weed or drugs or whatever, and you weren't the one doing it, and you weren't the crackhead or the fiend, you were on the right side of what was going on. there were you know yeah, it's one or the other right. So I did that for a long time, and uh, you know, as, as we uh, we were getting older, and uh, you know, some of my friends who stayed in high school had graduated and were now going to college. It was the first time I actually had the feeling that life was kind of passing me by. Maybe I had this tugging on me, like, damn, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I did. I felt like life was passing me by a little bit, but uh, some of the, some of these friends that were going to college were coming home all the time and buying weed and going back and it just kind of dawned on me that i could really make a lot of money if i played this right and i set some of these people up who were away at school and you know set them up with weed and then i could expand my my operations i could buy more so i i sat a guy down who was who was going to school who was kind of running a fraternity you know i won't say who it was or where he was going to school but uh I taught him how to sell weed. I kind of just wrote it out on on a notepad for him. This is what an eighth weighs. This is how much it costs. And this is how you break it down. And I gave him a scale, a tri- an old triple beam I had. And I taught him how to sell weed. And I would just give him two pounds of weed. And I would say, come back when you're done with it. And it was then that like things really changed as far as how much money I had coming in. Like I had a lot of money coming in. I was 18 years old. I had a floor safe in my closet and I had a lot of money mm-hmm. at a young age and uh it's dangerous. it was and it wasn't a secret right. either that was the scary part it wasn't a secret that we were down that that corner of of the steel valley on on the corner of ravine in that park in that playground doing what we were doing like it wasn't hidden like you know we were just down there doing it and yeah. everybody in the neighborhood kind of did the same thing or had like i said had their own hustle or just turned a blind eye cuz the neighborhood governed itself so we were kind of free to do whatever we wanted and then, uh, you know, everybody was kind of... Some people would do pills. Some people were strung out on pills and getting really bad and starting to get into heroin. Some of my really close friends were on heroin, coming down, borrowing money, or coming down, selling stolen stuff.
0: And... Uh, and you weren't, right? You, no. You just were taking all this in. How did that make you feel, seeing all that? I just found a way, like, like I always care. did, to
1: to capitalize on it. I didn't yeah. want my, my real close friends strung out. Mm-hmm. But, like... Anytime they would bring something down stolen, I found a way to get it for less than it was and then maybe sell it for more. I just treated everything as a way to make money. Business opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And uh it was it was around that time that I started doing pills too. I I got into Oxys. But we would take them we would take them on a certain night where there was a big party. It wasn't like, Oh, I'm just gonna do pills and you know, it was kinda like this thing, like we'd get them, we knew there was something going on, we we're gonna be hanging out with a bunch of girls, we would eat pills.
0: Do you remember the first time you did it?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I remember I, I I vomited, but like uh after I threw up, you would think something that made you that violently ill would you like wouldn't go back to, but uh you would think. <laughs> but uh I'll I'll try Not to ex- Yeah, I'll try to explain.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, go ahead,
1: man. The, the feeling I had from it, I uh you know, I told you I had that resentment and that chip on my shoulder and just this anger, just like this festering feeling of just like I was angry at my dad i felt like he had thrown me out and discarded his family mm. and and I, I i saw him as as weak as a weak man for doing that and i blamed him for a lot of things i blamed him for the state my mother was in at this time and you know having had that nervous breakdown and now she was drinking a lot and uh when i was high on that drug i kind of didn't feel anything it was just kind of numbed me mm-hmm. and it filled kind of this void i had in me Or I just like sunk into myself into like this real warm feeling, and I just like everything else on the outside world was gone.
0: Right. Uh, That's attractive to someone in that position. I mean, that's the most attractive thing you could probably feel, right? Yeah. You know. Yeah, especially so many people are on them, right?
1: I I I had I just had this hole in me, and I just when when I was high like that, especially off of the those pills, those opioids that just felt filled. Mm
2: hmm.
1: And so to make a long story short, over the period of two years, those times when I would, you know, get high like that, which might have been once every three months turned into like, you know, hey, once a week or this is the only time I'm going to do it two days in a row or and uh, before I knew it, I was I, I had a four hundred dollar a day pill habit. I was still selling drugs. So I was able to afford it. So I would buy entire scripts off of somebody selling a script. I would sell some of the pills, and I would take the rest. I would break even on those. So in my business mind, it wasn't costing me any money, and I wasn't a dope fiend because I wasn't, I wasn't robbing places to, and selling stuff to get high. Like I wasn't even spending any money to get high. I was breaking even, and uh, that didn't always last. Uh, there was a time I think when uh, somebody got busted. I guess that we got our you know we had gotten our supply from and we couldn't get any we couldn't get any product for quite a long time so we had this dry spell and i had this 400 hundred dollar a day pill habit so at that point it took about two more years so by the time i was 22 23 i was completely strung out i was completely strung out and during that four four to five years from the time I was eighteen to about twenty three, you know, five years, I there was a lot of things that happened, and stories I could tell you. Yeah, that'd be three more podcasts, probably. <laughs> exactly. I, I've, so I've
0: heard a lot of them.
1: So yeah, so I won't, yeah. I won't, I won't spend too much time talking about it. But yeah, there, there's some war like. stories. Yeah, man. But uh,
0: a lot of them are great, <laughs> to be honest, and you know. But there's lessons to be learned from that too. You know, you don't want to like glorify that in a way, you know. But in the same time, I don't, it made you, made you who you are.
1: Yeah. And I don't, some of them looking back are, are kind of like, it's crazy to tell people and you can kind of like, you you tell somebody that your friend, you think about that's so crazy. Thank God I survived that. But I don't think it'll serve anybody well at this point or serve us well to like glorify it and tell this war story. Exactly. But, uh, I will tell one. And, about alcohol and there's I have I have a ton but I just want to tell like a scary story about alcohol I will
0: vouch for you that you have a ton and they are very legit and not not in a weird like glorifying way but just so well I don't you want know, you got cred yeah I don't want the only uh
1: the only warning against certain substances to be just like hey these opioids and this is how I got to where I was at like right the drinking the drinking was bad in and of itself and i I'll uh, I'll just tell a quick story. I was do. I was seventeen. We were drinking at a graduation party. Me and my buddy and we were drinking to see who could get the drunkest because you know hey As it, was, you do it was when you're seventeen yeah and it was kind yeah. of a show. People were kind of egging it on and I I borrowed my buddy's car that night and this is just, I think it's important to say because of how many high school kids I have around me and any high school kid listening how dangerous it can be to like drink alcohol irresponsibly like
0: that. It's one of the worst things you could do.
1: So I, I drank in my, I've, you know, I drank myself to a point where I was blackout drunk and I'm in my friend's car and I leave, I leave this party. Yeah. And, uh, you know how you black out sometimes from drinking and you wake up in like, I don't know, your bedroom or some strange person's bedroom and you're like, yeah. there's a freak. or thrice. Yeah, you yeah. <laughs> wake up in some room, there's like a Britney Spears poster <laughs> on the wall. You're like, where, where, where yeah. am I at? Exactly, you know? yeah. You're like, oh, how'd I get here? And that's usually how those things happen. You like just wake up in a bed somewhere. Yeah. This is the first and only time. Actually, that's not true. But anyways, it's one of the very few times I've woken up where I wasn't like sleeping, I've woken up actually like was doing something in the middle of I w- I w- <laughs> <laughs> it. I understand
0: completely. That's why it's funny. I
1: I woke up behind the wheel of my friend's car from a blackout. I was driving a car. I was in motion, and I was coming from. Greenfield Squirrel Hill area back into Homestead across the high level bridge where it's called the Homestead Grays bridge now but I call it the high level bridge high level
0: still. So how many miles is that in if you were if you were to take you were going from Greenfield to Homestead? Yeah. So how long of a stretch is that for people that aren't familiar that you would estimate?
1: Uh from the gas station at the top of the hill there from uh you know from from Hazelwood Avenue down to the uh the end of the bridge where you get into Homestead that's probably I don't know a mile or two maybe. Okay. And I had, I had, I think, like four or five police cars behind me. City police, Pittsburgh police. There you go. Lights lit up, sirens lit up, and I'm like, I didn't know what was going on.
0: <laughs> I didn't. I was. No, obviously.
1: I was so terrified, and I couldn't. There's four lanes, two your, two going your, your way, two coming the other way, and I couldn't stay in one lane. I was all over the bridge. I was so inebriated. And they're behind me, and I didn't know what to do, so I panicked, and I just floored it. Sure. And I could see up ahead of me, which, you know, the end of the bridge turns into West Street and it goes up and it's, it's a hill. And the way, uh, for people listening that that don't know Homestead, the way it's set up, it's just, it's just numbered streets. It goes from 8th to 9th to 10th, all the way up, right? All the way up to like 25th or whatever, but and I'm going up this main street and I could see on like the second one crossing, which is 9th, that there were all these cop cars there. And from far away, it looked like a roadblock and I was I didn't know what to do, but as I got closer, I realized they were just each on each corner and the middle of the street was open, so I just flew through it. So I got into Homestead and there's all these cops behind me and I fly up to the, I fly all the way up to 17th Avenue and I make a left and I begin to zigzag my way over a block, down a block, over a block, down a block from 17th all the way back down to 8th to the main Avenue. And by the time I had done that and gotten back on the main Avenue, there weren't any cops behind me. So then I made a right onto my street ravine and it's, you know, it's a hollow. It's a, it's in between two hillsides. It's a gutter of a street and I'm winding my way through there and I realized they're not behind me. And I'm at this point, I'm, I'm sober from the fear and yeah, the adrenaline and You're, the adrenaline I Think you are at least, you know, and I started laughing hysterically cause they weren't behind me. I, I thought I'm going to get away. I said, I'm going to park this car though and hide it. So even if they do catch up, they can't trace it back to my friend because I have my friend's car and yeah. I don't want him getting in any trouble. And as I'm staring in the rear view, still flying, I'm punching the the dashboard, cracking up hysterically, cackling like a witch, crazy. <laughs> not, not looking at the road. <laughs> and I look back up and the street had turned and there there's a telephone pole and I cut it at the last second. The entire car goes up on this hillside you know the mirror rips off on the side the whole side of the car gets ripped up and as the wheels come back off the hill onto the street the tires blow out so now sparks are hitting the rims are hitting the street sparks are hitting so i have to pull it into this alley that dead ends this alley dead ends there's this path that goes up to the top of the hill up into homestead and at the top there's this rock called indian rock where we used to smoke cigarettes but halfway up this path i can cut over on this path and get to my friend's house so i get out the car I start running and I step in the sewer grade and I rip my leg wide open and and I end up, you know, I end up in the hospital, Damn. legs ripped wide open and, you know, I, they were talking about doing a skin graft and all this stuff. I have this giant scar on my leg, but just, I mean, you know, coming from, you know, drinking at a, at a high school party right that. where i think i'm having fun to waking up in a black i think if i'd have ran into somebody else killed them right killed it's some mom literally and their baby a miracle
0: that you didn't at that point right anyway <laughs> yeah that's badass i mean it's not badass but at the same time did, were, did you get arrested after that i did and i ended
1: up getting into my friend's house i was bleeding all over the place and then you know we we called an ambulance and uh Usually when you call 911, the cops show up, right. the ambulance came, there weren't any cops, I got taken away. I called my friend, told him the reporter's car was stolen, and I, I didn't get caught in that instance, but I got caught for a lot of other things. I just thought it, for some reason, was important to tell that story. It is but.
0: important to tell that story. That's a good one, and it's a warning against alcohol, which is the most deceptive drug there is, I think, and the most one that's marketed to you, and it causes so much damage. And it's, it's socially acceptable. Ex- yeah. <laughs> right? car crashes and and you're acceptable. allowed to do it. Yeah, yeah. You're totally allowed to do it. Um so that's important- that's an important message, so yeah, man, I'm glad you chose that one of all of them, but uh when so you really? went through that, that was probably like just another day in the life right and, well, I'm you know you like had.
1: a typical idiot, I thought it made me
0: a badass cool right
1: yeah, it was a cool I mean, story you had to that tell under your belt i was you're so stupid at that age. I was so stupid at that age Everybody that I thought is. it was something cool about me, right? I had oh, people yeah. talking about me, of look course. what Josh did. he got away with it, right, and that just further fed into like. My f- skewed view of the world of like your fucked up ego in a way. It, you it's know. like, dude, it's me. That it might be a wake up call for anybody else getting their leg half ripped off and like almost waking dying. Up and in waking a driving up
0: driving car. <laughs> w-
1: waking up driving a car with, with Pittsburgh City Police chasing you. But it, it didn't. I I just, yeah. it was to me something that was awesome. Like I had a I don't know. Like I scored a game winning touchdown. Like that's just how. That's just how lost I was as far as you know. My life and what I thought was cool and important, but
0: and where you grew up, it was it's an us versus them thing, right? Yeah. Like you beat the man, yeah, you beat the cops, fuck them, you didn't hurt anybody, you know, besides yourself. It's just it's just and a crazy
1: thing to think a about now. That thing. I'm raising kids and you know I'm training kids who are at that age and. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't remember where I was at before. I was talking about getting
0: strung out on the pills. Yeah, so basically that was a war story that you shared. But like, <laughs> uh, from there, though, like, when you had to hit bottom or something had to happen at some point, too.
1: Yeah, like I was saying, I had I had that $400-a-day pill habit. You yeah. know, we, we weren't getting any product. And over the course of the
0: next year... By the years, way, $400 a day, what does that look like in pill form? Uh, that's Is 10... That like a bottle?
1: Uh Depending on, I mean, if you charge by the milligram, like everybody had, you know, different people they knew where they could get for different prices, but it's roughly four to five hundred milligrams in Oxycontin a day. And I, I had gotten to the point where I was, I mean, I, that's all I did all day. And if I didn't have them, I was physically ill, like physically ill. It, I uh, got on a, we, right after 9-11, uh, we had planned a trip to key west before 9-11 happened okay and we were going to key west for fantasy fest it's in october my aunt lives down there and it's basically like a two-week-long mardi gras in key west That'd be insane yeah it was a lot of fun yeah. it's halloween themed and yeah. i was strung out so i actually cold turkey detoxed off of oxy's uh a couple months before that and then like got back on them like a genius about a month before we left so i couldn't go away to key (laughs) i couldn't go away to key west without pills i couldn't survive like just to describe the way you would feel without the pills it's like the worst form of the flu ever you can't sleep all that so like i wasn't going unless i had any so my friend and i we had gotten a script a couple scripts of like uh, oxy 80s We, we must have had over 100 of them so what I did, and this is at the most heightened security point in, like, America's history as far as airlines went. This is one month after right 9-11. after 9/11. Yeah, that happened in 2001, like yeah. September 11th. Right. We left for vacation October 14th. <laughs> it's like so a, a month out from 9-11. A month and a week out after it happened. So I cut the drawstring out of uh, a pair of jogging pants, pulled the string out, and then that little... That little vein, that empty vein, that cavity in the elastic band, I stuffed with a hundred eighty milligram oxycontin. Absolutely, and then got onto an airplane. were cool. I uh, I remember being very nervous when I when I got on the plane. I'm sure. And we got on the plane. This is how nuts we were. And you're just you're a complete lunatic when you're strung out on this drug. Mm-hmm. We couldn't make it a three hour flight without doing a pill.
0: Well, dude, it's like heroin addicts. I mean, that's what it is. So
1: so what did we do? We we had a magazine, and the guy on the end seat in the aisle in the magazine would open his magazine all the way up and sort of angle it to the side so anybody walking by couldn't see it. And then the two guys in the middle would crush their pill and snort it off of a magazine. But it's kind of loud when you snort. So instead of, like, trying to snort quietly, one of us would yell, God bless America as yes. loud as we can
0: and after 9 11 everybody's in on that though that was
1: safe it elicited a response the entire plane stood up and cheered You're right ah yeah, yeah and we're cracking up high-fiving sniffing oxycontin on a fucking airplane
0: <laughs> Fuck. i mean that's so rock and roll though just way, like, like how- why is that crazy
1: can you imagine what would have happened if we got caught? Right. And that's just a. That's just how fucking crazy we were. Why couldn't you just take the
0: pill? I've never done oxycodone for the record. They have always freaked me out. and I'm allergic to. Well, health. if you eat it, you got to wait for the effects. Yeah, but wouldn't you be okay though? Like, wouldn't that curb your withdrawal symptoms?
1: Nah, you need no, it you when need, you once you're used to having it snorted. It's just like anybody who injects anything. You're not going to snort something when you're used to injecting it. it it's, right. Okay. It's way more. It's, it's way more powerful. It's way more potent. If you sniff it. So that's why we so did it that way. In your way. mind, it
0: was like yeah. we're yelling, God bless America, and there's, snorting these fucking auctions. Yeah. Instead there's
1: of there's it, only like, one way to take these drugs. It. So how can, how can we make that happen? I love it. All right. Let's open a magazine, yeah. hide our faces, and scream, God bless America, and sniff fucking on pills. On an airplane. On an airplane. All right. One it. month after 9 11. <laughs> when I got back, when we got back, it wasn't shortly after that I had depleted all my money. I, I just. You know, I wasn't selling any. I wasn't selling as much as I wasn't making as much money as I was as I was uh, spending, and it wasn't long before I had to leave this apartment. I had no money, and I had to go stay with my mom in Allentown at the the back end of Mount Washington, and then I was. It was bad, man. Uh, you know, I had she, she was she had just she was trying to get back on her feet after everything that happened with her, and I, I I dragged my drug addiction into her life, and and now uh, I moved. I had to move back into uh, my buddy's house, which he was not living in anymore. And just to give you an idea how some of the places this stuff can take you, he moved out of his house uh, down in Lower Mon and he had he moved and he had his two dogs still staying in there and they just defecated all over the house. So I was sleeping in a house just filled with like dog a feces, bit in that situation, waking up story. dope sick, living in a house filled with dog feces everywhere. And I, dude, I wanted to die. Straight up, like I had no money. Yeah. I was trying to figure out ways just to get well every day. I wasn't getting high anymore. I, I mean, were, I, you weren't getting high at this point. No, I was lucky if I was getting off sick. Nice. And uh you've been through a lot at this point.
0: Like, yeah. You, yeah.
1: Right. And my, this is the guy I I, I sold weed with. He was a guy. He brought me up when I was younger. he was the baddest dude in the neighborhood, and I always had security because of his name and the type of person he was and He always took me under his wing and always protected me and uh in a fucked up street sort of way that sounds bad, but this dude even though like he you know i I sold weed with him and for him and 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 drugs and and but he looked out for me and I was because of his name, I was always protected under this umbrella. I was from ravine, and I was boys with this dude and this group and He And he was letting me stay in that house and he still kept, you know, he still kept some product there. And I, so I, I was so sick one day, I had no way of getting well. And in my mind, I'm thinking like, I'll just take like a quarter pound of his weed. I'll get some money and then I'll turn this around. I'll I'll make some money and I'll put it back and I'll make this right. And and I had, I had done that. And I remember the next, you know, I had had taken, I had taken his quarter pound and I had, you know, I had sold it. And, uh, I remember when he came down his house looking for it and when you know it didn't take a genius to figure out i had taken i lied to his face when he asked me if i took it and just the way he looked at me and uh he just told me to get out and you know i had you know i left at that point i didn't have anything i didn't have anywhere to stay i had no money i just betrayed my best friend a guy who always looked out for me and always you know had my back and i didn't know what to do i, w- I was dope sick I mean I was uh, you know I I was completely ashamed of myself. I had no good name in the in the in the neighborhood anymore. I was now that dope fiend that I never wanted to be. You know, I was yeah, li- you realize that? Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's harsh.
1: So I just I decided I was going to kill myself. I was like fuck it. Yeah. You know, at this point I had nothing, right? Everybody in everybody in the neighborhood looked at me different when I was walking up like, "Oh, here comes this dude. Like I was now that dope fiend that, that I made fun of growing up and everybody else in the neighborhood saw me as that. And then Yo, bro, I didn't want to live. I hated myself. Mm. So my idea was I was going to go up into the woods and I was going to like slip my wrist. I had a utility knife and uh, I couldn't do it. I, I kept trying to press it to my wrist, but I couldn't like pull it across my wrist. I couldn't. There's something in you just didn't let you do it. I, I couldn't. I was afraid there was. I couldn't do it. I was afraid that if I did it, I'd go to hell. I didn't know where I'd go. And I still had that in the back of my head, you, you know, still held on to your Christian Catholic beliefs. Only right. in the There's sense, like, in this, like, in the sense of like, if I do this, yeah. I, I had no relationship with God. I thought God hated me. I was afraid to pray because if I did pray, like, if, you know, I right. just,
0: but at the same time you were worried about going to hell
1: at the same time, I was worried about going to hell. There's if I died, there. I held on to some hope that maybe somehow I could, I just didn't want to go to hell. Maybe I could, there was a way back for me, but, uh, I didn't have any money and I knew my friend was doing heroin. So I called him and I just asked if I could come down. He was staying with his grandma on you know, asked if he could get me heroin. And so at this point I started sniffing bags of heroin and I would wake up every day and I would go down to, you know, the waterfront and I would steal and I would sell what I stole. I would get money for heroin. And, uh, I knew I got to a certain point now I had a tolerance that, you know, let's just say it was like an $80 a day habit. And, uh, there was one day I I only had $20. It was the end of the day. And I knew I wasn't going to get any money till the next day. And I knew if I only had $20 worth of dope, and I snorted it. It wasn't even going to be enough to get me off sick, to get me well. Mm-hmm. But I knew if I shot it, if I mainlined it, that I would probably get high and get wrecked. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just another one of those things. Like I'm not going to be that guy that does heroin because then I'm, then I'm a dope fiend, dope fiend. I'm not just. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, like e level. Of, yeah, like I'm shooting heroin. And uh, I remember that day I shot heroin. Man, I just first time yeah it's like uh it's like the warmest feeling if you can if you can think about the way it would feel like your mom hugging you and you kind of like coming in out of the cold weather and just the most secure warm feeling just kind of i felt it instantly just kind of filling up every vein in my body going all the way through my chest and out my arms all the way out to my fingers and i just melted just straight up melted like face hanging there just like it's heavy man and that's uh, why people do it. Yeah. Right. And it just, I mean, from that moment on, it had, I, it had its meat hooks in me. It was just yeah. what I was already doing with the oxys. I was already stronger than that, but it's just so much more powerful because it's so much more potent. So I was in and out of jail, in and out of the county jail at that point, petty theft shit, uh, forgery, bad checks from the time I was 23 till the time I was 29 and in and out of rehabs. In and out of psych wards in Pittsburgh, uh, when I had no more ways and means of getting high, no more st- stores to steal from in my immediate area, when I had burnt all my bridges, I would go to the psych ward, tell them I was going to kill myself, and get a room and just be dope Sorry, sick. You were guaranteed a room, yeah, just be dope sick in a, in a room. Psych.
0: And uh, was uh, at that time, um, you know, you don't you don't have to tell this whole thing either, but um, I remember you telling me at one point you would, um, you would go into, like, Lowe's or Home Depot and, like, load up one of those dollies full of, like, supplies. You'd find a receipt, like, on the ground and, like, pretend like you paid for it and then go sell all that shit. Is that – was that area that – is that one of – that time? Yeah, and yeah. I get I, – it's crazy how – That's, like,
1: genius in a way. It's crazy how – the lies, the liar it can turn you into. And what I mean by that is I would go to the same store a lot of the times, and in those stores you see those bubbles up on the ceiling that have cameras in it. So I would always go in assume that those loss prevention people were watching me on there because I had been getting caught stealing. I've been getting I've been caught stealing before, and I knew they were watching me on the cameras. They said as much, we saw you on the cameras, we knew what you were up to. Right. That was always in the back of my mind. So when I would walk into these home improvement stores. What I would do first is I would walk up to the. So I'm like always operating as if they're watching me. So I would walk up to the, uh, the customer service desk and I would say, "Hey, I want to apply for a job. How do I apply for a job?" They'd sit me down at a computer. I'd spend 25 minutes filling out the computer stuff and apply for a job. But then I would, I would at figure at that point these people are not watching me on camera, and then that's when I would go, I would I would steal what I was going to steal, right? Okay. Uh, dedication yeah i would i would fill up barge carts with large amounts of roofing
0: material and stuff and that's what it was yeah, yeah. I remember you telling me that
1: and what in the whole deal big. yeah when you're a, when you're a fiend like that you steal in bulk right if you can you get 500 dollars worth of goods you have a buyer you sell it for half off you're good for a day or two is kind of the idea which it never lasts a day or two but mm. that was that was it that was my hustle and that's how I did it. And I just the boldness of walking out and saying goodbye to people as you're stealing their stuff is is pretty crazy because that's not in my nature. I'm not
0: not at all. No, no I know this is like totally insane. I
1: remember being terrified to steal. I actually remember praying to God to help me get away with it so I could get off sick because that desperation you feel that's just like. It's just in your bones that you're you're so unwell that you got to feel better and, and you know it's why it drives some people to do some of the things they do you know mm-hmm. to of get course. their drug but I was I was in and out of rehab in these psych wards all the time man and I just uh, I got to a point I, I was staying with a girl who I really cared about as far as she was a good friend of mine and uh it's nice old to have she she liked me and had feelings for me and I, I really feel like a uh, a real piece of shit admitting this, but I, yeah. you know, I, I didn't have the same feelings for her. And as far as like, she was a great friend of mine. and I still love her to this day. We're still friends, but I, I took advantage of that and I stayed with her and I dragged her into my addiction. She didn't use, but I, she supported my habit. So I spent a lot of this girl's money Getting high, and I remember waking. uh, I wrecked her car, drunk, totaled her car, got a DUI. You know, caught the car on fire, all that shit, right? And she she took me right, yeah, took me right back in, right? And like, so I had spent all her money, and I remember waking up in her house one day, and I swore like this was in between like a time where I had gotten out of rehab, started getting high again, and wasn't stealing yet. And, you know, she was supporting my habits, so I didn't have to steal. And I remember she was at work and I woke up in her apartment one day and I was like looking around like I was so sick. I was withdrawing from heroin and I was like, what can I take from here to get high? And I remember I was like, fuck this. I can't do this again. So many different times over the over the course of, you know, the time I was first strung out, which when I was twenty one, twenty two till the time I was twenty nine so many different times being strung out and off again detoxing in jail getting out of jail getting strung out again swearing I'd never do it going back to jail swearing I'd never do it again getting strung out again I just remember when I was looking around her apartment thinking of things to steal I said I'm not I'm not fucking doing this again I'm not I I can't I was just so sick and tired of just being just being sick and tired of it I was sick and tired of being sick and tired and I just didn't want to go onto this another homeless petty theft streak of just like drug addiction where I, so I, I called rehab. I called, you know, I had some contacts at that point, uh, through co forge down on the South side. This woman knew me every time I would call her her name was Patty. And I'm like, Patty, I need a bed. And I already knew the ins and outs and the hustle on how to get on welfare insurance and all you would need to do to get, uh, insurance through welfare is go down and get uh, or to get county funding for these I'm sorry to get county funding for these rehabs all you had to do is go down to welfare and get a letter of denial from welfare and the county would fund you for for rehab so I got the I, I went to I, I you know I went over to Sport, got the got the uh, welfare denial and then she Patty took it to Patty she applied me for a uh, county bed she said hey as soon as a beds available I'll call you sometimes it's a couple days sometimes it's two weeks and so what you're gonna do at that point is try to continue to keep getting high until they take you because you don't wanna be dope sick because they'll wean you off of drugs at these rehabs. Okay. So uh I remember I rem- I uh I remember the last day I got high. Uh the Steelers won the Super Bowl, they beat the Cardinals, it was in two thousand nine, and the next day I drove to rehab and I got high the whole way up. It was a mess. The whole way up, and like uh, in the car, yeah, shooting dope. I we'd ask them to stop at the gas station so we could go to the bathroom, and I'd shoot dope in like the sheets bathroom, and uh, we all. didn't have anything. I had a small bag of clothes, like I didn't have anything to my name, not a fucking penny. I was twenty nine years old, and uh, you know, was in White Deer Run in the middle of the state, in the middle of fucking nowhere, and uh, damn. So, th- this is an important part, I guess. I'm in this rehab, always, man. Yeah, I'm I'm in this rehab, and uh, I'm just like, you know, I, I, like I just said, I'm 29. I'm thinking of my life. I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore, but I have no idea, like, how to live. And there was this counselor there. His name was Ali, and he was a he was a real tall black guy, um, Muslim guy with the uh, the kufi on his head. Is that what they call it that beanie yeah. up there? So we we can trust him, basically. Yeah, yeah. just. Real dark skinned black dude, real deep voice, and just like real frank with the way he would talk to you. Uh-huh. Just my type of dude as right. far as that stuff goes. Like he didn't, uh, he didn't wrap things sympathetically and coddle you, and 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 you know let you play the victim, which was part of my problem. Sure. And uh, I really liked the way he taught his groups and everything just because of the way he brought it. He wasn't my counselor or my therapist, but he was on the unit. And I just asked if I could speak to him one day. He's like, come on in. I sat down with him. He said, what's on your mind? And I said, you know, I told him kind of what I was up against over the past kind of six, seven, eight years. And I, and I told him, you know, how I was in and out of, narcotics anonymous rooms and rehabs and mental mental institutions the mental health unit on different psychiatric hospitals and western psych and south side hospital when it was still open and all this stuff i was on the psych floors and i just told him my story and i told him how you know the resentment i had towards my father and my upbringing and he just basically explained it to me in a simple way that i had never had it explained to me but he said you know whether you feel wronged or uh ripped off from a childhood he's you know he said you're not going to get a refund on that man you know you're not no one's going to come in and be like yo man here's here's you know let's rewind here's your years from 12 years old to present like let's relive this no one you know he said you're not going to you may not even ever get an apology whether you deserve it or not yeah that's done right and he said but you're the one carrying all the anger and resentment and um it's only holding you back he said, you know, the people you blame for your problems and all the hate you and ill will you have towards them isn't doing anything to them. He said, they're probably not even thinking about you. He said, you're the one carrying all that. And he, he told me, I remember him one time saying, uh, when, you, when you do that, when you carry that hate for someone else and that blame for someone else, it's like if you drank poison and then all of a sudden waited for the other person to die. That's how ridiculous it is.
0: It's literally what it is. Though. It's what it I mean, is. How many people need to hear that though, man? Yeah. You know,
1: and he, he drew, he drew it. He drew, he drew this, uh, he had, you know, he had a whiteboard in there and he drew an iceberg and he said, you know, at the top of the iceberg, he said, here goes your drug use. You know, he drew the water line across it and underneath was just, you know, this huge mountain of a stone. And he wrote in there all these words. It was really good for me to visualize it. And he wrote in there, my depression, you know, my family wounds, my, you know, my, my, uh, my feelings of of you know of just like where i wasn't worth anything low self-worth and all of these things and he uh he told me he said you're gonna have to forgive these people in your life whether they want the forgiveness or or you even want to give it to them because if you don't you're just going to carry that burden and nothing will ever change and he said and then after that after you've forgiven them he said you got to forgive yourself he said because if you can't forgive yourself you'll never move forward again then he talked to me about like uh He's like, look, man. When you get out of here, he said, "Where are you going to go?" Because this is a this is a one month rehab. I said, "I don't know." He said, "You better go to, you better go to a prolonged six month halfway house at the very least." And he said, "You don't even have anywhere to go. You don't have anywhere to live. What are you going to do? Walk around the streets of Homestead and Munhall?" So, uh, and he talked to me about humbling myself. And then whenever I did get back out there, like I was probably going to have to work. A very low paying job and catch the bus everywhere and things are going to be hard for me but i needed to take it one day at a time and just humble myself and work on rebuilding my life and he told me that no one's responsible for the rest of my life and from this day on out but me no matter what my circumstances were before that like not all of a sudden now that i made the choice to start doing the right thing were things gonna you know people going to come out of the woodwork and offer me stuff and this and that, or my dad going to come back and tell me, you know, he loved me and, and, uh, he was sorry. He said, you're responsible for every day on out for the rest of your life and what you do with it. Whether all the feelings you have are justified or not, you have to start from zero right now. And, uh, all of those things he told me where I couldn't blame anybody else anymore and I had to forgive and I had to take complete responsibility. Even if I was the victim of something, I have to look at my responsibility and it, if there was any, it freed me up to not let myself get weighed down and dragged down and kind of anchored into like these little pockets and, uh, and moments of hate over seasons in my life that were just keeping me there. And I was feeling sorry for myself. And I think it's an easy thing to do is just kind of get stuck in this state of mind where you just you're just shitting on yourself and you're hating yourself and so it,
0: many people man
1: bro it it almost feels comfortable of course it's easy to do that's why i don't have to get up and go do x y and z today or i don't have to try and you know hey start a new career or i don't have to you know i don't have to step out on a limb and start a clothing company fitness for the misfits i'm not going to do any of that because like, i'm a piece of shit and it won't work that's easier. It's way easier. The, the harder thing is the harder to step out there and go for it. Absolutely. And not be afraid to fail, right?
0: Yeah, and if you fail, fuck it. That guy,
1: it. Ali. It's my man. He, I, I, yeah, he made that, that piece of information. Again, as simple as it may sound, freed me because I was so stuck by all that stuff.
0: You needed to hear that, man. I mean, what, what year was this? 2009?
1: This was 2009. This, yeah, I, February of 2009. So that day, I went to my therapist. I was like, I want to go to a six month halfway house she's like she looked it up she said okay your your county funding pays for four four different places which one do you want to go to i said which one is the farthest from pittsburgh she's like oh there's this one in beaver falls pa okay. i was like oh that sounds really nice it does
2: it's <laughs> really like, well, sure. like waterfalls
1: and there's beaver Beaver's running around yeah it's always I'm fall like, fuck yeah dude let's go <laughs> and uh you know so it's place called the Moffat house okay And, uh, so I go, I go to the Moffat house and, uh, it's a six month program and the way you, you kind of get into this place, it's all, you know, intense group therapy, you know, centered around the narcotics anonymous program and, you know, trying to teach you how to live your life again. It's a great place. They set you up with life skills programs. They take you to get your birth certificate and your social security card if you don't have it. And, you know they you kind of start at the bottom of the ladder there's like 30 guys in this house you start on the bottom of the ladder you come in you get the worst job in the house you clean the kitchen right and then as you move up you get the easiest job and you kind of work your way through this program and as you you first get in you can't go anywhere for a month you have to when you leave the house you have to leave and uh you know with a van it takes you out to meetings and whatnot and you now at this point i was you know we everybody would smoke outside on break and i remember i remember this day, I was smoking cigarettes and they tasted disgusting. Like, I wasn't high. I wasn't drinking. Like, I didn't like them by themselves. I'm like, I don't even like this. I think I want to start, like, jogging. I had always, again, I'd always been into sports and playing, you know, hockey and street hockey and basketball. And I was like, I think I want to start jogging and, like, maybe get into boxing. I didn't, you know, I always wanted to box. So I asked the tech, I asked this tech, it really wasn't cool for you to leave you know but I asked this tech I was like hey man I want to start running it's, it's early in the morning no one's awake I was getting up at 5am I was like can I run like a couple miles and come back he's like yeah man you get caught or anything like that you know he said don't do anything stupid so this dude God bless him was letting me run so I was running three or four times a week man I remember at that time just getting so kind of inspired and like fitness it was the first time fitness had taken that place of that that drug addiction like I was getting these runners high, that, you know, that dopamine from, from, you know, from exercising. Bro, that's when I really fell in love with it. And uh, as I worked my way out of that, you know, out of that blackout phase and everything, you know, I got a job detailing cars. So I get to leave every day. I catch a bus, go out to work, clean out these cars, come back at night, you know, do my chores or whatever, go to group. And, And that's kind of what we were doing every day. And I found this boxing gym at our garage that I would you know i'd catch the bus at the garage we'd load up we'd go out and it was down in ambridge pa uh and it was uh tommy yankello's world-class boxing in ambridge Is and still
0: there
2: yeah
1: yeah he's a he's a you know he's a he's a world champion trainer he's the guy that trained paul spadafora oh yeah yeah you know from pittsburgh and
2: i never knew that
1: yeah he's yeah. he's probably one of the, arguably the best trainers in pittsburgh for boxing he's trained roy jones jr for a little bit and nice He's an awesome guy, and my friend went there. My friend Jesse Lubash went there, and uh, so I joined the boxing gym. I was staying in a three quarter house with my buddy Mike at this time up in New Brighton, and uh, me, and my buddy uh, Mike Joseph, and Ryan Mackamer, We we're, were staying in this three quarter house, and it was kind of like a bunch of dudes trying to learn how to live their life again. So it was it was cool. It was a special time. Because, like, we weren't getting high. We're all trying to get our our life back on track, working kind of, like, real shitty jobs, but just, like, doing it together. And that was important. We kind of had that...
0: Camaraderie. Yeah, that camaraderie and that brotherhood. It's important. Yeah. So... That's what the gym directly translates to. You know, that camaraderie, that support, even the military, like, something like that, man. That's important to have. I, I still had
1: a lot of anger now at this point that would come back. I mean, I would get angry that, like... You know, I'm at 30 at this point and I'm boxing at this gym and I'm like, man, I I, I don't have a career and now I'm just getting mad like I'm, I'm getting a late start sort of mad at myself and I tried not to stay there mentally and emotionally for too long but it, I would go to the, you know, I get out of this garage after I get dropped off from work and I'd go over to my boxing gym. Sometimes I'd be an hour early for the time when the adults went and there'd be some kids in there. And Tommy'd have a lot of kids and I remember one night, he's like, Josh, will you take one of them over there and show them how to jab on the bag? And I started doing it, and I was like, I really like this, man. man. And I was the greenest dude in the gym. Like, there was pro boxers there. You know what I mean? And, like, I'm completely inexperienced. I'm not a big deal. I'm kind of a nothing as far as that goes. But when I would come in and the kids would see me, they'd be all pumped up, which felt really good, right? Yeah,
0: man. That's infectious.
1: And I started watching Tommy's lifestyle. He lived across the street from the gym. And I would watch him like come back over from his house, train people all night, there's music on, like we were having a good time. And I was kind of dawned on me at that point. I'm like, I think I want to become a trainer. And one of my best friends that I grew up with, he was managing a gym in Westmoreland County called Galaxy Fitness that had a it had a sports performance franchise in it that was called Parisi Speed School. And they're focused on running mechanics and speed and agility and strength and conditioning with young athletes. And I, I called him and I said, hey, man, you, you think I could, I could interview for a job out there, or get a job? He said, yeah, come on out. So uh, I remember the day I had to go out for the job interview. And at this time, I was pretty far from this place. I was probably an hour from this place where I was living. And I didn't have a ride out there the day for the interview. So I had to catch a cab. I caught a $180 cab ride to this place. Right. That's how determined I was to kind of do something different. You, I paid for this $180 cab ride out to this place and I interview and the dude who owned the gym was real intimidating, man. He was just kind of a no nonsense type of shrewd business guy. And on the, on, on the application, it said, uh, have you ever been convicted of a felony? And I was at the point in my life where I, I didn't want to lie anymore. I didn't want to be a liar. I spent most of my life lying, mm-hmm. scheming, manipulating doing everything wrong and illegal to make money or find a way to you know get my way as opposed to doing anything by the book and I just made a decision that I you know at one point I was, I was done lying I wasn't going to lie and manipulate or do anything I was going to build my life back the right way so when that question was on there and I filled that application out it's really hard to explain the reason I have a felony in a in a simple yes I was in some trouble when I was a kid please forgive type stuff so yeah, I just I wrote box, yes right? but i would like the opportunity to explain at the interview. So i interview with this guy, this guy Denny and uh, you know, we're talking and you know, and he says, "Josh, you know, it's going well. He asked me why i like fitness and why i'm into it and it's everything i just explained to you." He said, "It's getting towards the end of the interview and he said, "Josh, you wrote on your application that you had a felony and that you'd like the opportunity to explain yourself. So here's your chance, go ahead." And like i said, he's an intimidating guy and i just said, "You know what? I'm just going to be honest." You know, at the end of the day, if, you know, yeah, I don't get it. I don't get it. And I, and I told this guy the story I'm telling you right now and and God bless this guy, man. I think he, I think he liked underdogs and, uh, like we do. Yeah. Keep it, keep it going. So now let me preface this with, I wasn't ready to start this job because I didn't have a license. I was still trying to get my license back from the two, the two DUIs and I was probably two months away. Okay. from getting this license back and this is in January of 2011 I interviewed for this job and he said Josh well if I were to give you the job when could you start I'm thinking I just caught a fucking $180 cab ride out here like I, like, yeah. I have no license I have no way to get there I don't, to do? I don't have a car bro I don't even own a car yeah. and he said when can you start so I just, I just told him I could start in two months he said well I would, I would want you to start tomorrow if I gave you the job, and I just said fuck it, I'll you know I'll, I'll figure out a way to do it. it. Out, yeah. and I said okay, well then I then I'll do it. So I got a call later that day from from uh, from the people at the gym, and I I got the job. So my buddy Ray, who managed the gym, I just slept at his house and would go to work with him every day. I had nothing to do all day, so I just sat at the gym, and while I was at the gym. I would just, you know, we they had a system where you would, if you joined, you got a 30-minute free session and then that was your opportunity as a trainer to try and sell those people personal training. So I used to just take everybody that came in, I give them a free session, I talk to them, try and sell them stuff and mm-hmm. the way the gym was set up is the owner gave there was five trainers there and he gave everybody a budget like here, this month you have to sell $3000 worth of training. So like my first month it was like You know, small amount. Second month it was a lot, and third month it was a lot more. Usually, he wanted minimum of three thousand dollars worth in personal training sold every month, and like you're in competition against the other trainers there, right? Right? So there's five other trainers. Everybody with like kinesiology degrees, exercise physiology, exercise science. Bro, I don't have a fucking high school diploma. So to say I felt intimidated is a complete understatement. And I was, you know, everybody's like looks like they're on steroids so to speak everybody's big and i'm like this little skinny you know kid from homestead like boxing i weigh like 150 pounds you know i don't look like i lift weights or anything and like i have no education whatsoever and it's like okay now you gotta try and outsell somebody's cats
0: but you did
1: but yeah luckily i i had yeah had people skills yeah I people skills and I ended up by my third month outselling everybody and I never got outsold again at that place. Absolutely. By anybody. So uh, I had, I got a car and uh, I got a car and I, I, uh, I was, I was one day away from getting my license. Okay. So the next day, what, what was happening was I had a car. And the next day, I was going to go back and legally get my license back because, like, I had to go to court, finalize a payment, and then I was off, and then I would have gotten my license back, It would have been reinstated. I got pulled over, bro. I got pulled over on the uh, on the parkway heading north towards Monroeville, and this, I'm like, fuck. So then I start thinking, I'm like, my natural instincts to lie to this dude. He's getting ready to come up to the car, and I'm like, trying to remember my brother's information, right? And I'm going to, okay. I'm going to tell him my brother's information. Hey, I don't got my license, but here's my information. I have my license and hopefully I'll get out of it. And I was so shook that I was like, this dude's going to know if I'm lying. I'm not lying to this dude. I'm just going to tell him straight up what's up. Right. Yeah. So I'm in my trainer's office. I got a stopwatch around my neck and he walks up to the car <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> license and registration. I'm like. I don't have it. I don't have one. He said, you don't have it with you or you don't have a license because it's suspended. I said, man, my license is suspended. I get it back tomorrow. I'm on my way to work. He said, what do you do? He said, I see a stopwatch around your neck. He's like, you coach? I said, yeah, I coach kids on boxing and speed and agility and stuff. And he said, why is your license suspended? I said, I had a DUI a couple years ago, this and that. And I said, look, man, I gave him a little short version of what i'm telling you now i was like my life was all messed up it's back on track i said i live far from this gym and you know i had to i had to drive out to it and it's the only reason i'm driving under a suspended license and he said hang on and he was gone for a while at his car and he came back and this dude something touched his heart he was like you know what man he said uh i'm only going to give you a, a driving over the speed limit of five miles per hour which isn't points against your license, which would immediately suspend it again when you get it back tomorrow. And he said, "But you know, I can't let you drive out of here legally. I can't see you drive out of here." He said, "But I gotta leave. I'm going to court. So how you get out of here is up to you." And he just told me, he said, "It sounds like you're doing great, man. Keep up the great work." And you know what? God bless that dude for doing that.
0: Yeah, let me man, out of that. You right? Could have, you could have fell down into another hole so easily.
1: Right yeah, there. man. That that uh that police officer. That was awesome, and you know, there's good encounters with the police too. There definitely is, man. Absolutely, yeah. There's there's good guys out there, you know, doing police work. So I uh, that's awesome. That meant a lot to me. So anyway, I'm I'm doing well at the gym. My buddy, my buddy Ray, eventually leaves, takes another job, and then, uh, you know, this other lady comes in, manages for a little bit, then she leaves, and then the opportunity comes up for the management role, and I wasn't necessarily sure I wanted it given the the high stress of the job and everything I'd seen yeah. the other uh, managers go through. But I thought he wanted to give me the job, Denny, because I sold more than anybody else. And I thought, if I take this job, I have no education, but now I'll have experience as a general manager. This could be a little ticket to maybe... It's a springboard. Yeah, getting myself on my feet again. So I did. And uh, I took the job and, you know, it was going great. And, uh, you know, at this point I'm single. You know, I, I didn't want any long term commitment from any girl and then plus like I still had a lot of issues I still had not worked out yet I still wasn't like I wasn't going to church or anything, but I, in my opinion, I thought I was leading a good life just because of some of the work I was doing. And I was I was serious about helping others and lose weight and help kids, you know, empower them to, like, live a better life, not drink, and then, you sure. know, do strength and conditioning with just them. Just
0: right there, that's a message that you got to start somewhere, man. Like, think about where you came from till just this right now. If that was the end of your story, you're managing this gym, that's it, dude. Like, that's a good fucking story.
1: And I, I was fine there, I thought, too. Yeah. So, yeah, to, to answer that, I thought, you know what, this... Thank God I was able to salvage some form of a life, and this is a pretty good one. I was okay with it. Right. Was thirty two at this point. I was thirty two years old. Okay. Three years before I was, was in the gutter, bro. And yeah, you know, man. Uh So. And I, yeah. To, to your point, you yeah. Man, I, I f- felt had a little apartment. You know, yeah. and, and I was staying there, and it felt good. And I, I had this, I had this friend. So the kid I told you that got me into the boxing gym, Jesse Lubash, his brother. uh jimmy lubash these two are friends of mine from from hey. munhall growing up i played ice hockey with them Shout out, jimmy yeah shout, shout out to jimmy and jesse jimmy's a, jimmy's a deaf kid they're both professional boxers real tough dudes and my buddy jimmy's a nut like a wild man and he was always texting me to go out drinking and at this time when i'm at the gym i'm managing it and i'm like every weekend he's like you know i'm hanging out with these girls come out down the south side and like i didn't want to i didn't want to hang out in the south side like i wasn't if he wanted to come over and hang out with just me or something, I would have, but I wasn't, I just didn't want to do that. You know, I didn't past want to, yeah, I was past all that, man. I'm 32. I'm not been through the ringer, been through all of that. Five like times. I just, I didn't okay. put myself in situations like that anymore. Right. Smart. But I felt like a bad friend cause he was asking me to hang out all the time. So finally he asked me to do something that wasn't, you know, going out to the south side. And he said, Hey, I'm running this, this mud on the mountain race. I got, some of my clients from my, from my boxing class, he, he ran a boxing class and he said, I'm bringing these girls from my boxing class. You want to come? I said, absolutely, man. So it's like finally an opportunity to hang out with him that didn't involve, you know, drinking. And I, I felt like a good friend for doing it. And, uh, so he's, you know, he, he tells me, he said, oh yeah, I got this one girl. She's, she's a lawyer. She comes to my class and, you know, he was trying to, you know, he was trying to get with her. I'm like okay cool whatever and we I I drive up me and my buddy Mike Jurisic drive up to Mud on the Mountain Jimmy's there we meet this group of girls that uh, take his boxing class and you know I, I meet a couple of them and I meet the girl Kristen who is the lawyer he was talking about that he was you know. He was looking to pursue that old girl. Yeah. And I, so, you know, I meet everybody. We're walking back to the car, me, Jimmy and Mike. And I said, Hey, is that the girl you were talking about? The girl you like. And he instantly gets defensive and, and, tell, and tells me to back <laughs> off. Yeah. You know, we're calling girls over the age of 30 and I'm like, fine, man. You know, like, all right. So, you know, we run the race and, you know, I leave and because the one girl had signed us all up as a group, she had everybody's email and was emailing us prior to the race. So we're now on this group email. You know, and then she emails after the race and she said, hey, which one you want to do next? I I found this one, you know, this whatever, this Jingle Bell 5K, you know, down on the North Shore, down in Heinz Field. You guys want to run it? And I didn't have much of a social life. I trained people all day and I just like went back to my apartment when I was done. I didn't hang out with anybody. So I was I was happy to go running and do some of this stuff. So at that time, she's. You know, liking pictures of mine on my Facebook that were old pictures that we <laughs> like weren't recent. We you, know, so you know, she's like, she's going through uh, you know Check my profile. Out. Yeah, she's going through Size some old pictures, of you know. and I'm like, shit. Like, you know, Jimmy called dibs on her, like, right. so I'm like, oh God, man, I got to try and keep this girl at arm's length and, you know, running this race. And we, we run the 5k, we go over to this place to eat afterwards. And she's asking me a lot of questions about myself and I can tell she's kind of interested in me, which I don't want to happen. Cause again, you know,
0: my fr- <laughs> my friend was interested in her and it's probably intimidating to you at this point, whether he was interested or not. Right yeah he's and having like a close relationship like that like you haven't had yeah
1: and he's my friend and if he likes a girl like I'm not gonna go there right, you don't right. do that right so like yeah. and then also like you made that mistake before too there's also the the fact that like she's an attorney and like what I've kind of come out of you feel like I don't want to let this girl get to know me because if she gets to know me she's gonna know that I'm not good enough anyways at least that's the way I felt right you know is, is kind of messed up as that sounds but that's the way I felt and uh So she asked me, she's like, so tell me about yourself. So I just tried to scare her away and I told her everything I'm telling you right now. told her the truth. Yeah. You tried to to scare her away with the truth. Yeah. And I just thought like, if I tell her this, we'll remain friendly, but she'll know Jimmy's friends kind of a, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of a, you know, kind of a knucklehead. Maybe I'll stay away from that dude. And, you know, I'm not, she would kind of turn her gaze to somebody else, but it it definitely, yeah, it definitely had the opposite effect. Yeah,
0: dude.
2: For sure.
1: So after the next couple times, we yeah, the next couple (laughs) times we hung out. I'm trying to avoid her, and Jimmy just, I think, you know, he kind of caught eyes for another girl, and I think he realized Kristen liked me, and he was just like, "What do you think of Kristen?" I was like, "She seems nice," and he was like, he basically said, "Go ahead, you can have her, or you can see her." Yeah, Yeah, he blessed it. (laughs) So we we were at the casino. We were out that night at the casino to watch the Pacquiao fight and everybody's drinking and gambling. I don't do either. So I'm just kind of sitting on this couch and she doesn't gamble. So she's sitting on this couch kind of in this like, you know, lounging area. And I just got into this like really cool conversation with her and just like since she just had like a real chill spirit, just like a real cool person that I I was kind of, I kind of liked. I maybe I actually like dawned on me for the first time after meeting her that for the first time I thought like I might like to hang out with this girl. You know, so we started seeing each other and I uh yeah I just I knew I don't even know how to explain it, but I was sitting across from her one night we were eating dinner and i I realized like I'm not gonna cheat on this girl and I'm not gonna i'm gonna take this girl serious right I'm gonna take this girl serious and I'm gonna actually I've never dated anybody seriously in my life I'm like I'm gonna do this and uh That's what I started doing. She was driving from moon township out to my apartment out there. You know, we were doing that for a while. It was like an hour drive. So one weekend she'd come to my place one weekend, go to her place. And then we got to the point where I was like, you know what? Why? Like, why don't we move in together? And she owned a house in moon township. And I was like, all right, so I'm going to move in with you. You know, she's not going to move to my apartment. (laughs) Uh, So I said, well, I have to find a job out that way before I do that. I said, let me look for something. And, uh, you know, after about a month or so, reaching out to my, I reached out to my friend Dia, who was my old manager. You know, she was running a place in eighty four PA. Now she runs uh, eighty four Fitness and CrossFit Five Nineteen. So I reached out to Dia. You know, I said, "Hey, do you know anybody looking for a manager in that area down there? I, you know, I'm looking to move in the moon. And I got to find something close." And she got back to me like a week or so later. She trained a lady, and this lady's brother owned Saint Clair Fitness, which was Saint Clair Racquet Club at the time. But so I go to interview and he said it's in Upper St. Clair so in my head I just heard Upper St. Clair Country Club <laughs> like not yeah. Upper St. Clair not where Racket we're Club. actually at right, <laughs> right. Yeah. so I go to interview for this job and I'm thinking like Upper St. Clair is like one of the richest neighborhoods in uh, in Pittsburgh and like coming from where I come from I'm thinking like money grows on trees this place is going to be awesome like yes me too <laughs> I made it right Yeah. and I kind of pull up I passed the place twice because I didn't think that could be it there was like giant potholes in the parking lot it's kind of a nondescript building just a big gray brick building and i walked in and it was again it just looked like it was abandoned and vacant for 30 years it was just kind of like just real janky right and i Mm -hmm. i interview for the job and i'm talking to this guy and eventually i I walk around with him up top and looking at the rack of courts and i i told him that i wanted to run you know a speed school and a crossfit and long story short i take the job and My first month there, I go in, I don't get trained on how to use anything like their, their software, nothing. I don't get an email, you know, no uniform, nothing. I'm just sitting in this office and there's nothing to do. And I'm just like, you know, the last gym I worked at was very busy. And I mean, there was tons of people. I had tons of clients and tons of families that knew me. And there was just nobody in this place. And I was just thinking like, what did I do? Like, this was such a stupid move. Like you had one chance, dude, to like go from like, this little general manager job at this fitness facility to maybe to another to like a better one right maybe like leapfrog that into something better for yourself and like you just made a bad move you went down
0: yeah dude it was bad so you were questioning that for probably a long time yeah just fucking with your head for
1: well, sure. yeah and it, I had made I had taken less money to be at this place yeah and the reason I took less money it was less of a salary but the deal was that if I grew the membership I would make a percentage of the revenue grown. And then if I grew it to a certain point, I'd be making way more money. So, you know, I, I just started doing workouts out on the side of the road. Stuck with it. Yeah. Let people driving by, see it. We stuck with it, met a lot of great people. And, uh,
0: Wait, I, so you did workouts outside of the gym? Yeah, is that, out, is that how you attracted people? Instead? Yeah, so
1: I, we so we built a little small CrossFit uh, CrossFit St. Clair. I got the affiliate. We built a little small room inside a racquetball court. So it was only eight hundred square feet. Yeah, that's how big the, the CrossFit yeah, right. gym was. Right. And I had like two or three members. And this one guy, uh, Mark Huber, he was an Air Force guy and. He was in oil and gas at this point and he would come in at weird times of the day and I would work out with this dude. And every time he'd come in, we'd kind of go out and work out on the road. So people driving by would know the place was open. And uh, slowly but surely, it started to take off. Like we did uh, we did a little postcard mailer and I had a, you know, one of the bullet points on the on the postcard was that I did speed and agility because I had that, you know, I had that background from the Parisi certification I got. And I met these two girls Uh, Stephanie and Anna Smith, they were uh, homeschooled tennis players from Peters Township that were like some of the best in the area for their age. And their mom and their coach brought them in there. I started personal training them and more training leapfrogged off of that. So like next thing you know, we had to take a couple walls down out of this room and knock down two racket courts. And at that time, another CrossFit gym had closed and then all these people came down, right? all these people started coming from these different gyms and it was like starting to take off. And then shortly after is when I, when I met you and, uh, about, I guess the first year, year and a half into it, you know, the, the, uh, the old owners, you know, we were having disagreements about. You know, the percentage I was going to make off the revenue that we had originally agreed to. They had kind of reneged on the deal and always cried broke, and it, it wasn't a great situation. And, uh, I had met a guy there that lifted there, uh, Big Slow. Shout out to Big Slow, Love Pat you, slowly. Slow. Thanks for all you do. Uh, he'll be on later. When I met him, uh, so he was kind of that guy in the gym. He, you know, he's the old school kind of meathead uh, weightlifting Arnold Schwarzenegger type bodybuilding stuff. And, absolutely, you know, I could tell he was he was an older, older gentleman that had probably raised a family, but still looked really young and fit and everything. And he pulled up in a different uh, car every day and he's working out in this dumpy gym. So my my initial, I guess, opinion of him was just like, this dude obviously has a lot of money. Why is he working out here? You know? Right. And uh, I thought, well, the only reason this dude's working out here is because he's not allowed to work out anywhere
2: else. He's not welcome. He's kind of,
1: yeah, he's kind of, he's a big personality, you know, kind of a loud mouth and like, yeah, he must've been like kicked out of every other gym. It's the only reason he's here. Understandable. So my first two weeks I thought like, I'm going to keep this dude at arm's length. And then his son worked there and I was real tight with his son, Pat. And I kind of realized through a conversation one day that that was his dad. I'm like, that's your dad? He said, yeah, man. So like, then I started talking to him. One of the first conversations I had with this guy, Kristen, who's my girlfriend, who I'm living with now, comes into the gym with my, at the time would have been six-year-old son from I had when I was 27. It's not, you know. Yeah.
0: You had a son at some point in this story. (laughs) What's up, Peyton? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And uh, she comes in with him and I give her a, you know, I give her a kiss or whatever, and he, he's like, Hey man. He comes over, he's like, Is that your wife? I said, no, nah, no, nah, it's my girlfriend. He said, It's your girlfriend. He's like, You guys have a kid, it's your girlfriend, and you have a kid? And I'm like, Nah, well, that's not our kid together, you know, he's from a previous relationship. He's like, You live with her? He's like, Wait a second, you live with this girl and your kid's staying there and like you're not married? And I'm thinking like the fuck? What the fuck does that matter? Right? <laughs> like, what are you gonna be married for? Yeah. And I'm like, so? What do you mean? So I was like, I was like, dude, I, people like who get married like need to be like affirmed or need some sort of affirmation in their life. So that's why they get married, right? They don't even know what else to do with their life. So it's like, oh, I guess it's time to get married. Or my friend got married, and I better get married too because about that time now I have value because yeah. somebody married me. And like, Not i the How do I? I didn't care about getting married. Right. Never wanted to do it once in my life ever. Never thought like when I grow up I want to be married. And uh, I would have been fine living on my own the rest of my life, but. Yeah. So then he said to me, he said, he said, dude, he said, I've been married. He said, I've been married, you know, 33 years, about one month longer than I've been alive. Actually. I said, really? Yeah, dude. He said, don't you want God to bless your marriage? And I'm like, huh? And, uh, it was kind of at that minute, like you might tell somebody kind of coming at you like this, who's basically a stranger in a gym to kind of beat it. You know what I mean? Like right. kick rocks. Yeah. But even in his very kind of like loud, aggressive way, if you're kind of looking at slow talk to you and you're in you're, you kind of, you're looking him in the eyes. I, at least for me, I realized that it was coming from a place of uh, mentorship and like he cared. Mm-hmm. I could tell he cared. And, trying to elbow you in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. But he was checking me in a way, much like Ali checked me, where he was very frank and at that speed that just makes sense to me. It's kind of what I need.
0: We just, a lot of people need that. Man.
1: Yeah. And, uh, it was the right message at the right time from the right dude. And uh, so I hadn't been back to church. I told you I was raised in the church uh, right until the time I was 12 and my parents split up. And I saw the way that the church had treated my mother after the marriage split up. And I had really turned my back on all of that. And uh, so when he, when he presented that, he started talking to me about God and asking, you know, god and his the role it's had in his life and his marriage and uh he said dude if you want god to bless your relationship and your kids and anything you're doing in life in your career he said you better get married i don't know why that that resonated with me and again it was just coming from him and, and his style and i i had really taken it to heart and really thought about it and i had I had been, you know, doing certain things, especially with meeting Kristen, where I felt like God was moving back into my life. So I was starting to flirt with the idea of like kind of rekindling my relationship with God anyways. And then he came in with that kind of message and just like enough, basically it was almost made me address it in my mind, like quit, quit messing around with this. Like, do you, you know, what are you going to do? Right. So I, so I, you know, I asked Kristen to marry me we got married October, uh, October 20th of 2013, over the next nine to 10 months, slow had been asking me to come to church and I was kind of half one foot in trying to, I guess, uh, have a relationship with God as, as I knew him, you know, and, and with, with Jesus and half foot out, like where I would just, I had these, I had all these kind of defenses up where like, really, man, like this is really, who you know, does God even exist? And, right. and if he did, you know, he, he, he came in 2000 years ago as a Jewish guy to like save us. And, and this is the message. This is how he wants to talk to us. So like, I was how struggling with that. Like, is this really real? So I, and I, I told, I told slow about it and he said, well, why don't you just talk to him about it and see if, I don't know, see if you're shown anything. And so I did, I was just kind of talking inside my head and I was basically just asking God, like, if you're real. You know, don't let me be confused about it. I don't want to feel like an idiot because I felt stupid for believing this stuff, right? And that's mm-hmm. kind of how the world wants us to feel nowadays if we're Christians. At least that's my perception of it. And I was, you know, over about the period of a month where I was talking, you know, to, to God in my head. I was I was on my way home from the gym one day and I was listening to Word FM and uh, this, this guy, uh, Dr. Ravi Zacharias was on and a real intelligent guy. And he was he was talking about how there's no other explanation for life in its existence on earth other than intelligent design. And he was doing it from a scientific approach and the, his, his argument was that, you know, if, you know, if, uh, if we were any farther or any closer to the sun, life could not exist, you know, on this planet. And I don't even want to try and like talk about it the way he did. Cause I'll butcher it. So I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, for sure. But he explained it in a way That was so logical and it completely was matching the way I was trying to like, you know, disprove God to myself. Like this can't be dude. You really like this and, and it, it wasn't like lightning struck or any of that. It just kind of spoke to me and I felt, I started crying in my car. I just felt like this weight was kind of lifted off of me and I just said, all right, man, I'm, I'm committed. I'm in now. I'm in, I, I, I'm in. And I, I, you know, I started going, I started going to church with Pat, this, uh, you know, this, this church down in the strip district, uh, Pittsburgh Amplify. And uh, my wife wasn't sure about it at first. She was raised Catholic and she liked the traditional Catholic stuff. And after like our second or third visit, man, we just, we knew we had had a home and I had, uh you know, I had asked God back into my life and I had started giving to charities and things that I thought you know, were important to me, some homeless shelters and things, like giving back some of my money, some stuff, and like some really special things started to happen at the gym, you know, and in my life. So about three years into the gym, you know, I'm really disenfranchised at this point. The old owners aren't paying me what they say they're gonna pay me, I'm looking to leave, right? And uh Understand. I'm talking to Pat, me and Pat's thinking about retiring. We're gonna go, you know, maybe open our own building and we're looking for buildings and uh I go to a graduation party for my niece. And there's only like eight people there. It's, it's Kristen's sisters, her mom and her dad, and those people's significant others and the two nieces. And, uh, so my, you know, my now brother-in-law, so Kristen's sister's husband, his aunt was there. It's the only lady I didn't know there. And I hug her and she's asking Bill who I am. And she's looking across the table, looking at me. And she, she said, Hey, do you, uh, you know, do you know the such and such family? I said, I do. And these are the people I worked with at the time. And, you know, she said, I'm the attorney for, for the mother of these people, the woman, the widow who owned the business. And she said, uh, you know, I'd like to talk to you after, after we're done eating, <laughs> so, like the hair stood up on the back of my neck. Look, like, here's the attorney for the mother of the people that are, you know, kind of running the gym and kind of shifting you a little bit yeah shifted me a little bit and i talked to her and she says that hey her client wants to sell and do i want to take the place like i don't got any money like how am i going to buy the place and i tell her like well i have a i have a guy who i'm looking to partner with who's interested in buying the place and you know three weeks later we're in a meeting with me slow the owner and the owner's attorney and three months after that he owns the building
0: rest is history and it's
1: just yeah it's
0: taken off immensely since there yeah
1: and it's taken off and kind of gets us to where we're at now with you know you over there with d and your program and crossfit being where it's at we're established we're uh you know we're going we're coming up on our sixth year there i've been at the gym six and a half years the crossfit affiliate started in uh 2013 december of 2013 so we're almost six years total there the uh the uh st Clair speed school program We uh, we train a lot of uh, high school athletes, middle school and high school athletes. I mean, we've we've seen a ton of kids come in there and just like CrossFit kids, CrossFit kids, speed school memberships. Yeah, we run camps. We got a lot of kids going off to play at college. We got other kids coming down there, you know, living out their high school career, playing sports, but just like they're in a good environment where you know we're talking to them about. You know, you're treating them like adults. You're letting them know the dangers of drinking and stuff like that. And there's just been some awesome, awesome relationships I've made at that place. And I'm very proud of the type of place it is. And it makes me feel really good to hear people talk about it the way you did, about how it's, you know, it's a place where you felt welcomed. And at the very least, if that's all we ever do is just like we're the best hour of everybody's day.
0: Perfect. It's awesome, man. Yeah. And I you guys allow and i allow my own you know dark heavy metal satanic fitness clothing company and health and wellness company to thrive in that environment alongside everything else and it totally goes with off without a hitch you know like it feels like totally cool and uh i mean aside from just how amazing the gym is in general i mean we can go off on just about any tangent from that story man i mean that's like the most incredible inspirational i mean how many different messages can you derive from that but um it's just it's wild to think of where you were and to right now that woman you were talking about that you were apprehensive about even talking to is outside having a picnic with your two kids in your backyard so we can sit here and do this <laughs> <laughs> and uh and i just came from that amplified church with you yeah uh, yeah and uh we're the relationship we have now and everything that's happening is just a, uh, you know, it's it's a lot to be to be inspired by, you know, and um, I think it's important to accept everybody. And when you were talking about, um, obviously, uh, death comes lifting's first thing we talk about is not Christianity, but right, it, this yeah, goes
1: completely against kind of <laughs> like,
0: Guess what? I don't fucking care. Yeah, I love you, and like I went to church with you, and I've gone to church with you in the past, just for like to take the you can get a good message from anything uh and that goes for heavy metal music that goes for christianity it goes for hinduism that goes for crossfit you can derive things from everywhere and to be pigeonholed into one philosophy is stupid and that's not what we're about and uh you're inspirational to me and in that way. Cause I would never even fucking think about setting foot in a church if it wasn't for you.
1: Yeah, dude, I'm super pumped. You came to church with me yeah, today. Thank it, you.
0: Went to church, got, got a little bit out of it. <laughs> got some, you know, and the, the word is the, is the word of any, you know, I'm comfortable to sit in any church and take uh messages from what they have to offer. And that doesn't mean that I'm a Christian. I mean, I'm, I'm really, I don't know really what I am. Um, from a young age I've always you know I was raised Catholic I think that's kind of why I hate it because you know they treated treating me shittily and you know we can go on that story but that would just be a mute point at this point but I just kind of believe that there is like a divine power there is something out there there is energy and that could be all of the religions no matter where you were in where you are in the world so when I hear God when I hear Jesus uh even Satan, even anything like that. I just translate that into the universe, the energy, whatever's out there and if you put good out there, you serve others, you do what's right, like you're going to get that back in some way or at least you're going to come closer than you were if you denied all that shit. So, I love and respect you for that and, you know, for everybody that wasn't expecting this podcast to be even a little bit about jesus well there you go <laughs> that's how we do shit sorry
1: if i <laughs> interrupted your black panther party
0: my black metal my black metal <laughs> jesus and whiskey drinking party just no that's awesome though. No. i love that and yeah. uh, you're you man i wouldn't want you to you know not talk about that shit yeah oh, it's, it's what it means to it's solid. just what happened bro it's just yeah. it's been my it's been my arc
1: you know from kind of beginning to end and come back full circle to that when i wasn't trying to like I wasn't looking for that relationship again I was kind of in my head just like slamming into me I realized like God was looking for me kind of if that makes any sense as corny as that sounds like I he just came and got me and uh like you man I don't I can't explain I'm not uh you know I'm not super super big on like I am big on like being determined and, and and willpower and stuff, but I mean, dude, the percentages that show the amount of people that can like recover from addiction prove that you can't self-will that stuff. So like the obsession to use that drug and that lifestyle, everything about it has been completely removed from my life, and that's exactly what I attribute it to. And if I'm wrong and I'm like I'm an idiot who believes in things like Santa Claus and God, then I'm an idiot, and I'm I'm Might also
0: work for you. yeah
1: yeah I am where I'm at and. And thank God, dude, like for Kristen, my wife, I,
0: yeah, huge shout out to Kristen. She's a lovely woman, man.
1: Just sweetest spirit, most patient person. She deals with all my idiosyncrasies and just how particular I am and how, I mean, I can get, and I can get into some dark moods still. Like I'm by no means like Zen-like jesus christian follower even though that's what i you know i am and i aspire to be like bro i can get i can just i can get into some dark places really quick where like i want to take a giant dump on myself and i don't want anybody around me and like i got two little kids have two beautiful little babies with Kristen, and like i can't be that way but like she lets me retreat when i have to and like handles business around here dude and has like the sweetest spirit and so giving and I just
0: anyways, she also has several death comes lifting muscle takes, which is badass. <laughs> <laughs> she requests them.
1: Yeah, dude, she yeah. she holds me down. And I'm She's great. I'm, I'm very thankful for her.
0: that's awesome. I hope everybody can find that or find that within themselves if they can't find that somewhere else. But uh, yeah, man, thank you for sharing that that whole story. I mean, even though I knew that story and I knew all like the little stories you had within that story that we would be here for seven hours talking about to flesh the whole thing out to really just sit down and hear all that is amazing, man. Yeah. You know, do you ever feel that? Like, looking back, like, fuck, was that, like, really me? Was that, like, do you have, like, PTSD from any shit like that? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, I
2: mean?
1: yeah, there's some, I definitely deal with some uh, some traumatic stuff that yeah. I've had to work my way through and most of it, I guess working my way through it, dude, is just forgiving myself and forgiving others who I would hold to blame for things. And to be totally honest, let me just be upfront that, like, now that I've completely grown up and matured, mm-hmm. I have myself to blame completely. Some things weren't always exactly awesome, but, like, I don't blame my dad for anything. Now that I'm like, I can look at things soberly mm-hmm. and just know that, like, he's just a guy. He's, you know, he had. He had he had some kids who were all running around like maniacs, you know, getting kicked out of school and selling drugs. Like, what was he supposed to do? And he's trying to make a normal life. So like, you know, in retrospect I realize how wrong I was for my behavior and things like that. And so I don't I don't blame anybody. So no, most of the time it's about forgiving myself and not right. not staying stuck when I get in one of those moods where I want to take like giant thumps on myself and like hate myself like i won't stay there bro i deal with it all the time you know what
0: and i mean everybody does you're you know that's it's a message to other people and even to me you don't have to be in your position as bad as you were to make something of it or like to have reality just slap you in the face you don't need five different people mentoring you like you know yeah
1: i yeah they we've you know that's there's some extremes there in that story, like how For how sure. far, For but sure. I mean,
0: but it, still, you no don't have to fall that reality.
1: far. You don't ever, you know, but like, no matter what your fall is, a fall is a fall. We all Absolutely. struggle. I don't care if you're rich or you're poor. We're all struggling with something, Absolutely. right? We're all struggling with something. And you know, whatever that problem is, whatever we're dealing with, there's a, there's a way to overcome that. And a lot of the times, you know, just getting outside of our own bubble and interacting with others and, like, being of service to other people is the way to really experience some freedom and, like, you know, some of the good at what life's about. I mean, how do you feel after you help somebody else out, right?
0: It's the best feeling ever. Yeah. You know, there's you many people that have uh, supported me, whether they buy personal training for me, whether they buy a T-shirt doesn't matter. The best thing is when I get a message on Instagram, like, hey, man, I did your workout today and I felt fucking awesome. Yeah. You know, or like, I never thought about ever stepping foot in a gym and then I saw your playlist and then I, you know, that one thing leads to another, you know, and that is... Everything and
1: yeah, you're inspiring people to live a a healthy lifestyle. And my lifestyle, where I'm at now, started with wanting to like go jogging. When I talked to that tech, when I talked to Sam Epps, and I was like, "Can I go jogging?" And it led me to other things. But like, it's you know, it's such a healthy thing, you know, to get get out of whatever rut you're in, and to like replace any type of uh, any type of negative force we have in our life, whether it's like overeating, depression, drug addiction, whatever, right. Right. And replace it with something like that. That's completely healthy and good for us. And you know, we're exerting energy and getting rid of angst and aggression. It's amazing. And it's a platform for, you know, all kinds of other good things to happen in our life.
0: Absolutely, man. Yeah. And, you know, we relate to that with each other's fitness, saved both of our lives in a way. And it doesn't have to be that. But I think a lot of people, if you give that more of a chance, and um, really trying to work on destigmatizing the douchebag vibes of, yeah. of the gym and of trainers and of uh, well, well, that certainly is real. I mean, that's there's stereotypes for a reason. There, yeah, and there's but yeah. there's
1: douchebags everywhere, there's right?
0: Douchebags everywhere, and uh, and don't let that discourage you from bettering yourself. Yeah, because it could it could honestly start there. It could start <laughs> with a jog, man. Right? If you you're know? yeah, if
1: you're overweight, Started. you're overeating. You don't know where to start when you get into a gym. I, I encourage you to, you know, get over that fear. You know, find a place where you feel comfortable. Right. Right.
0: Gyms like us exist everywhere.
1: Find it a trainer. Find one. somebody to help you out. Get you on the right on the right track. Find find a way to eat healthy. Find a sustainable healthy diet. Right. Stop mm-hmm. putting poison in your body. Start living a better life. And it, I mean, right there, that's the platform that, you know, to completely change your life. And it just goes out into everything else you do, your work, your career, your family life,
0: right? falls into place. Yeah. You know, not to bring the God thing back up again, but if that's what you believe, that's you. You know, for me, I was, I found my faith and my strength, honestly, in fucking heavy metal records. That's the shit I was raised on. You know, like I didn't have parents look after me really, like they were doing their own thing. Like, not that they weren't great, but, you know, doing their own thing. A lot of people find strength in the Bible and you, you know, you were guided through your faith. Like, that's why I've focused so much on, you know, my music and my art and stuff, because that is where I derive strength from.
1: That's where you felt comfortable.
0: That's where I felt. And to yeah. this day, like I listen to like my old records, like I'm, I, I'd imagine that's what it feels for like genuinely religious people to like read the Bible. Yeah. It's just, you know, I just transferred to a different energy or a different part of my brain, you know? and act in a different way what's it? but it's all blessed at the end of the day it is i'm well, down with all those messages
1: yeah and it's a i mean it's a cool thing sometimes when you know you pick a path like you have where you didn't try to fit in with everybody else probably in high school right was that oh no is that accurate super accurate you gravitated yeah, that's a, that's towards an
0: understatement <laughs> you,
1: you gravitated towards the exact opposite yeah.
0: Yeah. As soon as you you didn't even fucking go, so you just want up me. Yeah, there. I just yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: just fucking I yeah. I couldn't didn't deal with any of it. There. Nah. Yeah. I didn't yeah, I just I did not feel like I fit in at all with uh with any of it and I didn't f- just like fuck this. The only place I felt like I ever fit in was Donald Ravine with all those guys down in the playground with my boy Coat, Russie Orr, Herky, Mongo all those guys down yeah. there, you know, yeah, my, you feel my like brother you Jordan, know. my brother Nathan, like that's, that was home. And, uh, is the only place I ever felt home. And then the lifestyle that we all lived down there was just so bad for all of us. And these are all good guys, but it's just, you know, it's neighborhood swallowed us all up, you know, stronger dudes than me. And you know, the fact that I, a lot of people don't make it out of that or make it off of that street or, you know, some of them are in prison in and out of prison for the rest of their life. A lot of them are dead. Uh, you know, the fact that I can sit here and talk to you and be on the other side of that and be raising a family and, you know,
0: giving back, serving, giving back you and made it out for a reason.
1: I feel blessed, man. And it's why I'm like, I'm super anxious and, and happy to jump on here with you and talk about these sort of things because like, I can't, I got to share that. So like, even if like one person hears this and it plant, if it only plants a seed for three years, four years, 10 years down the road where like they heard this and like, even if that's all it ever does. Perfect. I, I hope it can help as many people as possible. But when you asked me about like, uh, is there any, like, do you ever look back and think like, is that real? Or is it even a dream? Because very often I feel like that only when I talk about it, like I don't talk about this to anybody. I dude, I run a gym in upper St. Clair where I'm dealing with parents and kids. Like I don't, you know, yeah. I'm not banging people over the head with my heroin story when that's I meet the, them. Like, that's
0: the other thing. If, you, know, you know, if everyone's just listening to this, but they don't know you, if they look at you like none of your story matches up to anything that, you know, the vibes you give off right yeah, now. We're like, super tight clothes.
1: Hair's always cut and parted. Right. Like yeah. I got to run a gym. I got to look a certain it's way. Right. You Got to present yourself.
0: White yeah. dude. Yeah. You, gotta, you know, you got you
1: to speak articulately with some manners. Not that I speak super articulately, but yeah. uh.
0: But it takes one to know one. So, like when I first met you, I was like, "This dude, this dude's been through some shit." Yeah, I know this dude. Yeah. <laughs> you know,
1: yeah. But like on the it's, from the outside looking in, you would think, oh, stereotypical oh, trainer yeah. douche. From the outside, yeah. right? But that there, I don't. So that's the lifestyle I'm living every day. I'm interacting with people that are successful in their lives that probably have not stepped one foot even close to the path or even sniffed it that I'm talking about right now. Mm -hmm. So I don't ever think about it. Then when opportunities come up to sit down and like, talk to you like I'm doing now and I revisit some of these things and I think about it, I'm like, that doesn't even seem real because
0: it doesn't even seem real. Another person did that or you're just recounting. Well,
1: I have an 11 year old son, right? So here's another example. I have an 11 year old son. He, you know, he might go outside here and there, you know, Mm -hmm. jack around with his brothers in the yard. Like when I was his age, I was hopping trains in the abandoned steel mill section of homestead the steel mills were still there the waterfronts there now but the steel mills were there they were abandoned i was hopping trains running around down there smoking cigarettes like finding old playboys and like the locker rooms down there throwing rocks breaking windows like at 11 i couldn't imagine my 11 year old doing that and then sometimes when i look at him and i think what was i doing at age 11 like holy
0: shit same thing dude you know i it doesn't seem it doesn't it doesn't seem real and uh my little sister's going is in her first year of high school right now, and she's 15, and she, like, hasn't done anything wrong in her in life. And she's like, <laughs> you know, and she, like, it's just really funny to look at. Like, when I was 15, I almost died, like, three times by then.
1: And you've you know? probably, well that experience you had, and you have a big, you have a big influence on your sister, right? You raised, you've kind of raised them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so you've done the right thing. You've used those bad experiences to like steer her away from all
0: that and you've probably done a lot of that by being straight up with her and honest right a hundred percent of it's by being straight up and honest and the uh, kids I train you know I was a youth coach for you for a while and I would kind of do my own thing now and them starting up death comes lifting is for the children camps and stuff like that which is going to be badass and you have to be involved you have to which is fucking dope by the way it's going to be a thing yeah Yeah, because I mean because it's you really want to change the world you have to start with the kids yeah those are the seeds that build the trees and um I think, and this is my vision. And I'll spitball it right now to you on, on the podcast. But it could happen. It could not. But I really want to do like fitness for the kids, obviously. But like, I want to start with like meditation and like self love and like acceptance and all that stuff. Like, have that message at the beginning and then build on and end with like like fun, like fitness, like games and like just do it like outside, do it in
1: the park. Them, we could teach them how you know to cook. I mean? nutritionally yeah, like all that stuff right stay away from processed foods like we right. could teach them how to cook with, with yeah. cooking shows like here are, you know here are the right things to eat like here mostly vegetables you know then meats fishes chicken and poultry and stuff like that fruits nuts
0: oils yeah. healthy fats right right coming you, from someone like us like someone i would listen to if i was a kid because like if i was a kid i wouldn't listen to like Fucking Joe Biceps on TV telling me to eat tilapia, telling me to fuck himself.
1: Or people just yeah. hammering you with rules and telling you not what right. to do all the time. Not that rules are bad, but like... Yeah, okay. when you're a kid, you don't listen to rules. Kids want to feel appreciated just like you do, right? Love They them, want to feel yeah. like people... They don't want to be yelled at and told to go sit in the corner, right? So like... Right. You know, they want to feel appreciated. So if you, you look them in the eye and you know, you come from them from a very caring place from your heart, I think that resonates with them. And then, yeah, you can have an impact. I mean, that's great to hear about your sister, dude. If Mm -hmm. everything you went through, all your trauma was, if you had to endure that just so your sister didn't, isn't it worth it?
0: 100%.
1: Same thing. Yeah. If, if any of my three boys, if they, if dude, if they never have to deal with any type of drug addiction you know if the worst thing they have to deal with is the normal stuff some of us deal with in life like disappointments and hey i lost my job or i failed this test like normal stuff like they don't end up in you know down in the acj downtown and you know can't get off of drugs and i don't dude it would break my heart absolutely if i had to go through that so none of them ever did i'd go through it again i'd go through it i'd i'd relapse right now and go through 10 more years of it if it would ensure they didn't have to go through it
0: A Million percent so,
1: man yeah man that's what's up.
0: That's all That in a way that makes you like the best parent, you know, but Bro, I'm, I'm a bad parent. That's everybody's <laughs> I, bad at yo, everything. I can't, man. no one's perfect. Yo, they're cute
1: as hell, right? They're they cute. Are. And there's all these little moments of joy just surrounded by like my head ready to explode by the complete chaos of like having kids. And I'm sure any parents out there can relate. And like, mm-hmm. dude, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do a better job of like, being present and not retreating away from that and like
0: and you work a lot too man we uh, us trainers do we have some you know it might sound like woe is me a little bit poor you coming to the gym in fucking pajamas but like uh it's long hours and you're you're there at 5 a.m. man and we leave late on your feet creating yeah. creating conversation yeah and like just think about that making everybody happy
1: think about that 10 hours yeah. say you work 10 hours a day say let's even say just 6 or 7 or you know whatever hours of that is filled with training say you're standing on your feet the entire hour. You're giving them a workout. That's the easy part. You write a workout up. It's exercise, bro.
0: Yeah, we have those down forever. It's easy. Yeah. You got to generate
1: a conversation and, and, you know, and, like, even no matter how much you like a person, after a certain while, like, you just want to hear yourself shut up, let alone someone else. Mm-hmm. Not that you want to hear something, you know, like, oh, I wish this person would shut up, but, like, no, I know that. you want some quiet, right? For sure. All right, you get off work. The last thing you want to do is walk into a house where there's... You know, it gets taken up even at a higher level. Like, you got two little kids that want all your attention. They're screaming. They're going nuts. They don't know anything. They're complete terrorists, right? They're just like firing <laughs> toys off the wall. Right. Right. You know, your wife's ripping her hair out. She just got off work, too. Her day was hard. So, like, it's, uh,
0: yeah. It's, I, don't, <laughs> I don't have kids, and that's hard, too. Like, just, I mean, I live with my girlfriend right now. I love her to death. Even like we both, when we both have stressful days and you come home, dude, it's hard. Well,
1: what is being a parent, right? And then
0: I can't even imagine.
1: It's putting yourself
0: last. Last, right. Which is
1: hard to do because we're all selfish people. That's why there's so many
0: horrible parents.
1: Right. Because that's all it is. We're naturally self-centered beings, bro. Mm hmm Right? I mean, it's unnatural to be the other way. So like, it's a hard thing to do. It really is, man. It takes a lot of discipline and it just takes work. And I think we have to be honest with ourselves with, with, with all of that as far as that stuff's concerned, man. But it, yeah, it's not easy.
0: Like I told you before the podcast, I hate saying like taking like an inspirational story or even saying myself, if I can do it, anybody could do it. But if you really look at where you came from and where you are now, I feel like people can derive that they could, they can make something out of themselves if they feel that way. And You know, even in parenting and the gym and your career, just as you, probably the hardest part was being comfortable with yourself just as a person, just regardless of all that shit. Like that's the hardest there is to do. And you, I mean, everybody still works on that every day, but hearing something like that can really help do that. It helps me, honestly.
1: Yeah, bro. That's, that's a really, that's a really cool thing you just said. Cause like sitting down anywhere, a lot of the times, do you ever sit down somewhere and just feel like I do not belong here and everybody knows it (laughs) (laughs) everybody knows it and like you know like I'm completely counterfeit for this situation you know whatever like you know you're you're sitting at some banquet in some country club or whatever you're just like bro I don't belong here and you can you relate to feeling like that all the time everywhere all unless time. you're at one of your shows like moshing with somebody or whatever? Like that's probably what it's probably why you gravitated to that because like this is the only place I feel like I'm I feel like I belong
0: right down there in the scum. Yeah, where I feel like I belong, exactly but now that I get some recognition. I uh, if somebody important talks to me, I'm like, why are you talking to me?
1: I felt like that any time <laughs> I ever left Ravine Street. There you go. When I went up, to, when I went up to school, when people heard you were from Ravine, it was just like, oh damn, you're from down there, right? Uh-huh. Even the poor black kids were like, ooh shit, you're from Ravine. Like you were, you were the lowest of the low. And I've always kind of carried that with me, bro. And even as a 40 year old adult to this day, it's still hard not to carry that with me. But I. Bro, I don't let it. I don't let it stay on me. Like it can, it can enter into my life. It comes back up. It's part of me. Like I'm not trying to say like I'm cured of that, but like I have tools nowadays to deal with that. So like if you're, if you're dealing with something like that, you're feeling less than, you're not good enough, and yes, you are. Fuck yeah. Yes, you are, man. Fuck. Don't believe that lie that you tell yourself. Yes, you are. You're good enough, right? right? You're good enough. You can do anything you put your mind to, right? You, look, you, you gotta got hard. to work hard. You got to be ready to fail. You got to be ready to pick yourself back up again and work harder. You—that's all.
0: That's all it is. But it's a lot easier to say than do. But still, it is knowing that. It's all there is to it. Yeah, man. Like it's so true to you.
1: Yeah, if you're listening, you're in a bad place. Yo, man, make a phone call. Reach out. Get some help. Talk to somebody. Take it one step at a time. There's ways for you to turn your life around and do something different, right? And lead a better life. Don't continue to kill yourself mm-hmm. and, and just down, and, you know, go down that path because more than likely you're going to hurt yourself. You're also going to hurt other people, right? You got a mother, a father, brothers and sisters, probably your friends that are going through that with you. It's hurting them too, right? Absolutely. And just think about it, man. I, you
0: have so much to offer society. Whether you know it or not. Whether you know it or not. That's all there is to it. And helping society it is the only way the world gets better. And if you, you can't, sit, at least for me, sitting around and being cynical that the world's fucked up and I could just sit here and snort coke and drink and just listen to fucking Black Sabbath and jerk off and not give a fuck about anybody, <laughs> like I could very easily do that. I could do that tomorrow. I can make a decision, but I won't let myself because I've made a decision that I'm going to try to change that. And everybody, if everybody did what they could a little bit, the world will be better. And like I was telling you before the podcast, um, just w- just saw an inspirational quote. You know, half the time I hate those things. But the one that resonated with me was you allowing your hurt to deny yourself being service to the rest of the world is the world's poison. Yeah. So if you uh, just feel like, woe is me. Like I've been, t- I've been hurt too bad to help others. That's, that's the world's poison. That's how it goes to shit. You yeah. can't let that happen
1: yeah it's you can't even if you're yeah and then you know it can go a step further and then you know if you're one of these people who are you know you are that way you're not about helping anybody you're not about shit but like trying to push everything else you believe on other people to the point where like if they don't agree with you they're shit you know what i mean let's cancel them fuck them that whole mentality that like our cars was dealing with right now is fucking gross Mm -hmm. And nothing gets accomplished. So you feel a certain way and you feel you're on a certain side and identify with a certain side. All right. So what your job now is to make the people who are on the other side feel stupid about it or win an argument and you get a win. That doesn't solve anything. You're not bringing that person to your side, whether you're right or not, Mm -hmm. nothing gets fixed. So we end up on different sides, just like hammering each other, getting nothing accomplished. Like people need to start listening to each other, right? Airing out our differences, accepting each other for who they are and trying to figure out a way to like. Do good things together, right? It's all love. Live yeah, live live amongst one another, right? Right. Accept each other, accept ourselves
0: for who we are. Like could you imagine if we weren't friends because you're a Christian yeah. and I posted that my Flexorcist tank top is available as we were sitting in church today?
1: I wouldn't have like, this fucking awesome tank top on right now if that's, that's, I did that.
0: That's what I'm saying. And I feel like more people should look at things that way. And uh, I feel like people would expect me to be the last person that would sit in church. But, like, that's kind of why I do it at the yeah. same time. I don't do it every week. I don't do it every month. But, like, I will do it, you know. And you're open-minded. And just being open-minded with that or even with fitness, a lot of people that are in my position, in my mentality, previous mentality, your previous mentality, that would never set foot in a gym because of the stigma that surrounds that, their stereotypes. Fuck that, dude. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You just need to get over yourself at some point because a lot of that's just internal. You know? And a lot of that is whether you were a kid and your parents just reinforced the idea of rejection to you by punishing you or by neglecting you or, you know, your your girlfriend broke up with you. So you just want to fucking harm yourself more because you feel like she cares. She doesn't give a fuck. Nobody gives a fuck. Right. You know? You got to do it with yourself, you got to find it within yourself and just love everybody because that's the only way shit gets done. That's right. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to get into some fun questions that I kind of ask everybody now. I always ask everybody what their favorite Black Sabbath album is, but I know you don't have one. So I'm going to say that Master of Reality is the album you should listen to because there is Christian themes embedded in it. We'll get to that later. I do have a favorite Black Sabbath song. Do you have a favorite Black Sabbath song? Yeah. And
1: correct me if it's Ozzy when he was solo. I love this. But (laughs) But I think, all right, tell me if I'm right or wrong. I believe this is when they were Black Sabbath. But because I'm such a fucking comic book dork, Iron Man was my shit. No,
0: that's hundred percent. And this is before this
1: is before Marvel came out with their real cheesy, corny movies. Like before I read comic Robert books. Jr. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't even dislike. I like the first Iron Man. I shouldn't say that. I like the first I like Iron the first Man. First
0: Iron Man. So do I. But like, I hate all the other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway,
1: I don't want. I don't want to take a giant dump on them. But either way, Good. I grew up reading comic books, drawing comic book characters, I always like that stuff. So like whenever I heard that song, you know, I am Iron Man, I was like this is the fucking shit. It's so dope. that's my stuff.
0: Also I I make it very clear that I'm a huge old school rap and Wu-Tang fan. Yeah. But before I met you, I was not privy to the Wu-Tang Clan solo projects like you turned me on to only built for Cuban links.
1: Best Wu Tang album ever, in my opinion. There you go. Arguably there's a couple that are right there with it, but that's one of the best. That is. Yeah.
0: So I mean it's definitely one of for sure. It's fucking amazing. So yeah, just because you don't know Black Sabbath album, like you got that going and like you opened my eyes to all that and I'm internally indebted to you for that because I will never listen to that album and not think of you. You turned me on so, to Iron Maiden. Yes we did. So thank you for that. And a lot of lot of things that I'm I shouldn't be playing in the gym publicly, but I do anyway. Dude, the
1: the the solo Wu Tang albums are fucking gold. The uh, Liquid Swords is Liquid my Swords, for sure. Liquid Swords, and Cuban Lynx are up there with the best. Dude, Supreme Clientele,
2: Mm-hmm.
1: right? Ghostface. Yeah. By Ghostface, aka Iron Man. Yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, that's his uh, best one for sure. Really good. Uh, you know, Enter the Wu Tang, right? The Thirty Six well, Chambers. Chambers.
0: That's gold. Yeah. That's gospel. Um, the INS. Who is probably the best rapper, like the best lyricist? Probably definitely him or, him or the genius. Maybe if you
1: get in, if you get in and listen to it. I mean, everybody has their own opinion, but like, if someone takes you aside and says, every time he before he spits a verse, and you're like, this is the rebel ins, yeah, and you like hip hop and you respect lyrics and the metaphors and all that stuff, and you don't think he, I would, I would have a hard time believing anybody that really says that but like i mean and it's it's up to people in their opinion but the rebel sure. ins in inspect the, the deck is ridiculous bro best yeah.
0: lyricist in all of wu-tang i have to agree and his solo it's like his his solo project slash side project is czar c-z-a-r face and he like collaborates with different artists like his last one was czar versus ghost face which was obviously him. And which you trade. put
1: me down with, yo. I'm mm-hmm. a, I'm now a white suburban dad and like not up to like, what's late, like the latest yeah. releases and all that stuff. And like, you did put me
0: deep uh, with it. I honestly think that that might be if liquid swords is like gold to me, but besides liquid swords, That's the best Wu Tang solo shit because it's so fucking good, dude. He's so good. He's on and when I saw Wu Tang, just saw him for the first time a couple months ago. Like I've seen them solo, but them all together, they were doing the Thirty Six Chambers anniversary tour. So they played the whole thing. It was awesome, and he was the INS was just on fire the whole time. He is so good, dude. They're they're amazing. Great thing. Wow,
1: I started listening to rap my older brother, who, who didn't go to. our, the same public school we did steel valley he was going to a private school over in uh shady side because he was always in trouble he went to like some school called McEwen or something like that but he brought he brought a rap tape home for the first time i think it was like 80 it might have been like 87 i was young i was like eight years old mm-hmm. and it was uh it was the nwa album
0: like, for like i for like straight arcs. yeah
1: i let me let me go back a second i had uh i had the bc boys license to ill you know i knew about that right that was actually the first cassette I ever owned. License deal. Yeah, but my brother had a dubbed tape, like, you know, where you have the dual cassette decks and yeah, you would yeah. dub a tape. He had a dub tape, fuck the police, right? And he brought it home. My parents are all Christians, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember him getting punished and, you know, we got punished for listening to it. And they threw the one side away, but we had dubbed copies. And that's when I found out about rap. So anyways, that's what we all liked from that point on was the gangster rap. Like, that was the shit, right?
0: That's what you were were vibing with.
1: Yeah. I liked all, like, the Tribe Called Quest and De La Soul and stuff. Like, that stuff was cool, but, like... Yeah, you're awesome. freaking ten. These dudes are talking about killing people and fuck this, fuck yeah, that. We're awesome. like, yeah, this is this is way harder, right? Right. But then when Wu Tang came out when I was a teenager, I was like, this is crazy. Like, this is the coolest shit. They had, you know, they're referencing old kung fu movies and they're in the weird comic-y shit, like I am. Like. Mm-hmm this is what I like. And then I went through a period in my life where I didn't listen to anything else, but Wu Tang. I love that <laughs> like Nothing. I wouldn't listen. And this is when Tupac was popular. I was like, ah, fuck this. Right. Yeah. You know, I wasn't listening to any of that. Like all I wanted to hear was Wu Tang. Yeah. God bless. You know, a little bit of mob deep, right. Or anybody else Thanks. kind of from like that New York kind of grimy, New York drama, like Personals genre. Album, yeah.
0: Obviously. Yeah. Goes without saying.
1: Yeah. What else? What's the other questions you always ask the other people?
0: Qu- um, do you have uh, any like rituals, like routines that you that are non-negotiable for you? Like going going about your day, like wake up. Do you have the same routine? You know what? What's your what are your things that you need to do to be successful in the day?
1: Yes. So Let's I get go. up. Yeah, I get up at three thirty every morning. Right. Yes. That's hard Because I, I open the gym at. Uh, for all you, you
0: crazy know. bastards that are just going to bed at that time. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Shout out to my uh, five a.m. Crossfitters at Hell CrossFit yeah. St. Clair. But I uh, so I open the gym up. And, uh, so I get up at three 30 cause I got a half hour drive to work. Right. So I try to leave by four thirty. So I need an hour like to like come to life. So my morning routine, like get up, gotta have, gotta have coffee, like can't even function. We'll fall back asleep within minutes if I don't start drinking coffee. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Me too.
1: Have a coffee, start to have sips of it. I open my, uh, I open my phone. I have a, I have a, like a Bible scripture reading app. Right. Uh, I'm not trying to hit people over the head with Bibles, but you asked the question. What you do. Yeah, this is what what I do, do. right? Fuck you. And just to, just because, you know, if any, if I were these people and I were, you know, you know, if someone was using my app, I would want them to, I would want them to, uh, you know, give me a shout out. It's read scripture. And it's from these dudes. They, uh, they started they started a, a podcast. It's called the Bible Project. It's this guy, Dr. Tim Mackey, and uh, his friend John, who was his college roommate. This dude, Dr. Tim Mackey, uh, he's an ancient Hebrew scholar. Like sings in ancient Hebrew and stuff. He's he's a rad dude, and he decipher he you know, he translates the bible to us through the original hebrew and like gives the real meaning if you're gonna do
0: it do it right
1: yeah so if you're into that sort of stuff and like want to understand the bible better and like grew up kind of like under the catholic religion and a lot of that stuff was lost on you because you just felt like your parents forced you and want to revisit it it's seriously so dope it's better than any science fiction movie nothing can even come close to it hearing this guy dr tim mackey describe what's really going on and what's written there anyway even if you're not into that sort of thing just to hear them talk about it is super cool so they have an app where if you you can read the bible basically in a year if you open it up every day it takes you through so many chapters of like certain books and then like uh, at the end of it you know you at the end of whatever the verses you're reading you get to the end and it has a psalm and it's basically a way to focus what you're going to pray for mm-hmm. that day so that's how i start my day i read that you know, I, I read the psalm and then I kind of get into the things that I want. I want to like kind of pray for and what's important to me, you know, my family, you know, uh, all my friends who I'd like to see come to get to you know God better. Uh, you're one of them, by the way, and all my other people. And uh, sure. I pray for like the gym, prosperity, everything, you know, and then I and I and I pray that like I don't get in the way of what God has planned for me like now in my life, like now that I'm back with him and I'm walking with him and I'm trying to live for him and glorify him. I pray that I don't get in the way with all my stupid shit that I tend to do constantly. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm always like, bro, I'm just like, I'm just like getting dragged through life by like, just like I, I, my motivation like my like moronic caveman motivations i'm just getting dragged through life but it's like a homing beacon to like wrong decisions mm-hmm. and i gotta like i gotta like slip punches and like stay on the right track is kind of the way i would describe my walk right now is what's going on and i won't get into detail on that but that's how i start my day that's so like important to hear though yeah man i i try to get centered like that i get in uh I only teach a few of those 5 a.m.s right now but I usually start the day coaching those guys up trying to get them moving you know these guys these guys have important lives you know they have important jobs to get to and like this is the one hour of their day where they don't have to be super serious so I try to get them moving so at least you know get them moving let them have fun have a good time. try not to like yeah try not to make them feel bad about the fact that they like are real bad about getting started on time but once they get started they're like a super fun group so like i get yeah. started i try not to like let that drive me nuts yes. because i want these guys to enjoy themselves right Absolutely. and it's like it's freaking 5 a.m it's also it's fucking
0: exercise yeah and it's yeah, there's yeah. That too.
1: and then they get <laughs> yeah. moving and like we're all good and then these dudes are sitting over there i so. like taking that class by the way well, the rare times i do it's fun They enjoy when you join for the Murph. But like you watch it, like you get it over with, you try to end it on time. I'm looking at it as if I'm running a doctor's office. I don't want to start the next hour late. Right. Mm -hmm. So I got this anxiety to finish on time. Once I get it finished on time, what happens is I walk out of that class. Right. And I start my next hour and I look in at those guys kind of sitting there. Like, you know, sometimes it's two or three. Sometimes it's like 10 of them. They got their protein shakes. They're sitting there and they're talking about it. And like, those are friendships happening. Mm -hmm. And that, can't happen unless that gym is there and that's why that place is awesome. Cause like these yeah. dudes are sitting there joeing it up, they're talking about whatever. This dude got this quota, he got a hit, this dude got a fly to San Fran, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And then like some interesting cats. Yeah, in and these place. guys like they're finding camaraderie and and kind of support within that group, and that's fucking cool. That cool. And I love it, right? Whether you like CrossFit or not, whether you like this or that, whether you like what it doesn't matter, those dudes. Are finding camaraderie and common support through exercise, right? And that's a group of friends. That's a group of friends, and friendships are born out of that, which is cool. And the gym being there, making that available to those guys, makes me feel good. Yeah, it should. Yeah,
0: it makes me feel good that you feel good. Makes me feel good that's there too.
1: So, and then I mean, oh, that's yeah. that's the only must, I guess, because like once I get my day started, I figure out, hey, is there a window here for me to work out? Like, I gotta work out. Like, I would like to say, like, yeah, get up, I work out. First thing I do, I stay on my program. Like, bro. I'm just kind of like kicking the can down the street sometimes as far as that stuff goes. Like I know I got to get my workout in. I have four very uh, planned days that I like to stick to just for muscular strength training. That's kind of my thing. Mm -hmm. So I I like to – because I just don't want to get super skinny. You know what I mean? Straight up. And uh, so – yeah, yeah, So I'll, I I got to get those four days in and I just kind of search for little pockets and hours here and there where I have breaks to get those done.
0: With our schedules, that's sometimes how you have to do it. But I know you like you and I probably can get into our own head and feel bad like kicking the can down the road with our fitness routine. But you have to understand that that is like exponentially better than the majority of the population. It so is. If they can take away something from that. Just do If something. you yeah. And if you have like I'm just down
1: to like put the gym first as far as like if there's a personal training session and he's done I'm jumping on that or if like no one else can cover this classic I got to do that first Mm -hmm. my workout comes second Mm -hmm. but if we're talking about like you know anybody else other than me like the first thing you should do in the day probably is exercise but like if that doesn't work out for you your schedule or you just in general because you can't get up right away or can't do it and you got to do it after work that's fine too but Mm -hmm. I would love honestly to answer that question like bro first thing I do is get up and work out Maybe whenever I'm not working at the gym one day and I'm not a trainer one day, like that is what I'll do. Probably. But like the gym comes first and like, you know, most of my day is since I'm a manager, I spend personal training this way. Like if I personal train, that money goes right to the bottom line and then I worry about that second. But that's it, man. I I get my clients out of the way and then I find, you know, I find a a little window to work out and, you know, then I do my thing.
0: That's great though. You you get your head right with, you know, you read your you read your scripture in the morning and you drink your coffee. So that's before you get to the gym. So that's basically what you do as soon as you wake up and mm-hmm. I'm very similar. I drink coffee and I read whatever book I'm reading or I listen to whatever record I'm in the middle of because I review albums. And I like to stay up to date with that shit. So that's what I try to preach to people too, is you got to find, if you're not into the Bible or whatever, you got to fucking read in the morning, just train your brain into like putting things together and thinking the right way. And it gives you a sense of accomplishment for the day.
1: It really does. But you know, especially why, at least for me, tell me if you're anything like this. Isn't it just like this weird default where you just flick open your Instagram or Facebook, not even thinking about it, mindlessly thumbing through it, like channel surfing. Absolutely. And you got like, you see a name and you're like, yo, respect and appreciate these people they're my people like 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 like. you're not even reading you don't even look you're not yeah, even you looking pair. but they're your people you want them to know you appreciate it and you're just hitting like how how weird is that so yeah I, i've gotten to a point and kristen's like you know brought it up and rightfully so sometimes hit me in the face with like bro get off your phone this is early in our marriage and like i'm i'm not great at it still but it's like Getting up and reading like you're doing, you know, or reading like I'm doing, whatever we're doing, and like detaching from that, like where you're plugged in from that, I think is important, bro. We can't be on that, like you can't be answering emails, doing your social media, yeah, like man. that stuff has a purpose for some people. It's how we market today, it's how we advertise. That's
0: how I run my business. Yeah, that
1: that all makes sense. Sure. But like it's easy to follow trap. It is, dude, right? Yeah. You get sucked into that and you're thumbing through stuff and then like have you ever posted a picture? about whatever and then just felt really good when it got like tons of like you know it got tons of uh, you know clicks and likes and whatever and, and impressions that. on it and you're like damn you gotta check yourself on that like why do I feel good about that right you know what I mean yeah, yeah you know it would feel better it always feels better to me I don't feel good about myself sometimes if I'm and I try to stay away from this I think it do a good job for the most part of like I don't I don't want to get on there I don't want to get on social media and brag that ain't, that ain't cool, right? That's, right? That shit is whack as fuck. That is. You want to celebrate other people. So, like, if I'm getting on there and I post, I don't know, somebody in the 9.30 a.m. class, some woman in there, like, she's been here five months. She's lost 12 pounds. She's doing her thing, right? It's awesome. It's like, post that. That gets a ton of likes. You should feel good about that. We should feel excited about that. Well, that's
0: what you want to put out there, right?
1: too. Not like, you know, no I don't know, I'll picture you with your shirt off. Right and it's like i don't feel good about myself
2: what <laughs> <I
0: don't laughs>
1: a, a picture of me with my shirt off if i you know if enough people hit like on this i'm gonna, that val, i have value now right? right that's where that stuff's dangerous i guess is what i'm trying to say so i think good for you man well i good for modern. you getting up and reading and and not diving right into that cuz it's easy to do it's channel surfing right. turning the tv on right absolutely and you're flicking through stuff and like it's you know
0: i don't think any really successful person if you ask them what they do first thing in the morning is I roll over and open Instagram. It's not, it's just not, it's not good for your brain. And I used to do that in a way to like prove to like my followers that I'm up like at like five, like I would post it, but like I don't do that anymore because I wake up, I meditate for 10 minutes, I drink coffee and I read before I get out of the door. And I've been doing that for like two months now. They don't care
1: what time you get up, bro. They don't
0: give a fuck right no
1: one gives a fuck they but i still care.
0: but like i do and i like wanted to prove it to them
1: bro i'm I'm, and no I'm agreeing cares. with you i've yeah. done it too like look how impressive this is it's yeah. 3 30 a.m like nobody shut up right? right yeah it's it's we have to realize that it's unhealthy at a certain point what is good for me in my business and what am i doing how am i marketing it and like at what point is it unhealthy and i'm like f- thumbing through whatever damaging yourself just yeah. nonsense yeah you know, some picture of some dude playing a role in a movie with some typed over quote that explains me like, <laughs> yeah. you know, here's a picture of Robert De Niro and Goodfellas. And it's like, I'll never trust somebody because nobody can hurt me if I don't trust them. It's like, oh, shit, this explains me. Let me post it. What the fuck is that about?
2: Right. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah
1: you're going to bring people to your like, side. Like, oh, no, you. now everyone's going to understand me. Finally. Nobody cares. No. Yeah
0: do you follow john joseph do you know who john joseph is i don't all right you kind of remind me of john joseph in a way or i guess john joseph reminds me of you whatever way you want to look at it he was the singer of the crow mags the 1980s hardcore band from the lower east side of new york and um he is very similar upbringing to you he was like homeless like all kinds of like crazy shit and um he still lives in the lower east side and he like uh cooks food for home peop homeless people at, like shelters and he's vegan. And That's he's fucking like, dope. Yeah, dude, he's badass. He like gives yeah. back to the community and he's like It's fantastic. He he's he's vegan and he's done like I don't even I'm gonna fuck it up so I'm sorry John Joseph, but he's done like a ton of like Mans on this vegan diet and he's a huge proponent of like eating clean, but he's like punk rock is fucked. I wanna
1: whatever. be like you John Joseph. John Joseph Ross. I would love to cook especially for homeless people. Yeah. And you should totally do that. That would be awesome. Maybe one day if I make enough money, I can just like open up, you know, a homeless shelter slash drug rehabilitation center that teaches these people, you know, hey, we can we can get off the streets. We can get off drugs and we can get back and be employed and be a productive member of society. And like we can also learn how to cook because like, you know.
0: Yeah, you're going to do that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You should share that too because you're a fantastic cook i yeah nobody's checked out your instagram profile it's a lot of very gourmet cooking that i've been fortunate enough to enjoy
1: i love cooking bro yeah Uh,
0: that's amazing like i said at the start
1: yeah my 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 uh grandparents are italian immigrants Mm -hmm. from spino saturnia which is it's a province that's south of rome and uh so my mom's first generation italian american and i was you know do the math i was raised on real good food sauce meatballs sunday dinners all that stuff and like uh you know, I I learned I learned how to cook at a young age because like I was never home when dinner was ready anyways. So like I wanted to know how to cook. So I learned how to like boil noodles right and throw right. sauce on it. And right. like I was good and scramble some eggs. And then like as I got older, the you know as I got older and I stopped being super picky and like I really started to appreciate because like as I got older I wasn't at Sunday dinners all the time anymore. So I didn't have like I didn't have my Memos sauce and meatballs every weekend and like i was like fuck dude like i kind of want this all the time like i'm not you know mm-hmm. i'm not there every sunday mm-hmm. so i you know i knew how to cook enough and uh i also was raised on the food network so when i was in high school expelled from high school all those years and i was smoking weed like sitting at Checking home shit
2: out. Yeah. the food
1: network just came on tv I'm like yeah. you know all these emerald Lagasse and these dudes are like cooking up i'm like smoking weed and i'm like trying everything they're doing right yeah you know but yeah. don't yeah they had like exotic ingredients i got like you just did the best you could yeah i had some yeah. i had some Lipton rice pilaf and like <laughs> yeah. you know some chicken tenders <laughs> in <laughs> in the fridge i'm like i'm gonna grill these chicken tenders and mix it with this rice pilaf and feel like a chef see but, what's going on yeah and see what's going on but then as i got older i started reaching out to my meemaw i'm like hey how do how do you make your sauce and she told me like she would tell me over the phone she's like You know, hey, start with your bacon grease and, you know, get that going and get your onions and garlic in there. Then sear your beef and all this and that. And I just kind of fell in love with it, bro. As I got older, I love good food. Who doesn't, right? And uh, I really fell in love with cooking. I cooked, you know, which it's you know we didn't talk about it but during some of those years when i was struggling and stuff some of the odd jobs i have is i i cooked at restaurants for quite a while you know and bar backed and worked in the restaurant industry so i was doing that too a
0: lot of junkies do that yeah a lot of junkies do that and
1: (laughs) i i so i you know i i love to cook i know how to cook and especially now that like I'm married and like, you know, I kind of redid my kitchen and stuff like, bro, I'm awesome, getting dude. down. I'm Killer. yeah. I'm like, it's, it's like next
0: level. Honestly, it's unfair.
1: It's like a pig in a pile of crap. Like I'm yeah. Yeah. And so I, so what I do is I, you know, I, I figure out something new to cook, whether even if it's from my grandma or like, I just go online. I follow a couple guys on YouTube, uh, That I that I like. I like their stuff. And so I'll see them post stuff and then I'll make it. And I'll just take little Instagram stories. But, you know, we're thinking about doing something different and maybe putting it on with death comes lifting and having that be incorporated into what you're doing. Yeah, for sure. Doing some chef stuff.
0: I know uh, the Lifting Dead Army out there always ask me for recipes and like when we, I post, either I repost things you've cooked or healthy meals I've cooked, they're like, oh, how the fuck do you do that? And it's really not that hard, but like... Well, you get surprised know, at how many people know?
1: don't know how to cook, don't right? To, yeah. So the reason I started posting those videos, I'll be honest, like yeah. I've always cooked. Like some people, like just as of recently over the past year and a half, I've started posting all those videos. I didn't always post them before. I've always known how to cook. The reason I started posting them was out of necessity. So... For for as far as uh, CrossFit goes in the gym, like it's kind of a popularity contest, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but like you got to be visible.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, one of my members uh, sat me down one time, was talking about like how do you communicate with the members and da da da. And I'm like, not a dude who's gonna get out there and like, like I said, I don't like to brag, and there's right. nothing to brag about. I'm not like the as far as CrossFit goes, like I'm like. On the lower end of like, as far as like performance goes, like I don't lift a ton of weight. I can do pull ups and run fast, but like, you know, but it was just like, well, these I know how to eat and I know how to stay pretty in shape as far as like my midsection goes and who doesn't want to eat. Yeah. And who doesn't want to have abs? Who doesn't want to have abs and like look like they're in shape? So it was just like, and not that the stuff I post is going to make you have abs, but I'm like, I wanted to inspire people to cook. Okay. It's
0: still better than most things though, man.
1: You know? and some of them are good, healthy stuff. Some of them are like, you know, whatever. Yeah. Right. But uh, so I wanted to start posting the cooking videos because number one, I'm good at it. Mm-hmm. And I felt like it would inspire people to cook and get people talking and people would watch that and like, like that. And you know what? It worked. There's been a lot of things I've done that haven't worked, but like people want to talk about the cooking show. And back to your point, like your people ask you like, yo man, how'd you make that? I'm so surprised at how many people that approach me about like, oh, I saw those rib, those short ribs you made last night. Like, how you know, da, da. and like my buddy, Dennis, uh, who goes to CrossFit, Dennis said, I he's like sends me videos yeah. of him making the exact same thing I made, which is like, that's freaking awesome. Right. Yeah, it was like awesome. you just inspired that guy to cook that. Yeah. So that's why I did that's it right. is I wanted to have a presence, more of a presence on social media. And I didn't know how to do it without being the douchey trainer guy who tapes himself working out. Right. 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 Because, yeah, like, and even if I did enough. that, like, that's not even impressive, bro. You got 95 on the board, Josh. It's <laughs> like, right. what are you posting? Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. oh, 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 there's a muscle-up video. How many of them can I post? <laughs> right. I so, like, I yeah, months. I did it. So, like, just to get more of a presence. It, and it really worked. And it's kind of cool. And I'm happy people responded to it. And it's cool that people ask you about it. Because, bro, you, you cook some pretty decent stuff. I see you with, like, your broccoli ravi and, yeah. like, your hot sausage and stuff and your kale stuff. That's right.
0: I try to keep it tight, but yeah, we, we're definitely going to collaborate on that and post some recipes for everybody. Well, what that'd do be people? Awesome.
1: Yeah, that'd be great. We'll post it for people because what do they say? Uh, your food is either like a very slow form of poison or it's like nature's best medicine, right? right. And like it's the kind, it's kind of corny and cliche, but dude, it's true.
0: It's medicine, for natural yeah. foods medicine. I've like, I've really cut down the amount of supplements I take, even just because I'm eating such a good, wholesome diet. Supplements are you good know? in a pinch. What? All right. What supplements do you take? Probiotics, fish oil, D three, and creatine. Ah, that's it.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, I, uh, I take. Uh, I take. I take uh, some raw cod liver oil, because I don't eat enough fish every week. Some weeks I do. Some weeks I'm like, hey, I got enough fish in this week.
0: Yeah, my fish oil is liquid. I just drink it.
1: Me too. Yeah, that's yeah. the best way to Teaspoon, uh, do it. Teaspoon uh cod liver oil. Yeah. Uh, apple cider vinegar, the raw stuff with the mother in it.
0: You got to have Bragg's. If, the, if, yeah, bra- yeah, definitely Bragg's. Bragg's if yeah. that's
1: even considered a supplement, but I take that. I take a daily vitamin, and then... Uh, bro that's pretty much it you know what else I I will have a uh, a protein shake like in a pinch after a workout mm-hmm. if I don't have food but like it, it shouldn't be something we rely on like whole foods for sure right you, like yeah, you if you're looking better. for a magic pill to like help you lose weight like stop no, bro, change your diet Change. Yeah. Change the way you eat it's all into you something eat. that's sustainable. Just very, just, I mean, raw ingredients, you know, vegetables, animals, if it didn't walk, crawl, swim or fly and you can't pick it out of a tree a bush or the ground, just like don't eat it. And the farther it is away from that point, the worse it is for you.
0: That's really all there is to it and people try to overcomplicate it so much. And I always say, like, look, I'm a trainer. I should be trying to sell you workouts. It's all what you eat. Yeah. I can give you the best workout program ever. If you don't eat right, it's not gonna do you shit.
1: You work out, you're gonna look, you're gonna decrease your stress? Yes. Are your muscles gonna be stronger? Yes. Is your cardiorespiratory system gonna be better off than it was the other day? Yes. Will you look better if you're working out and you're kinda have a bad diet? Probably not. No, probably almo- not
0: almost definitely not yeah
1: like if you have so let's let's go the other way with it if all you do is eat let's just say you eat perfect whatever that means for some people mm-hmm. like you know you eat to be lean lean muscle right we don't want to carry a lot of fat
0: mm-hmm.
1: right let's eat, agree that that's vegetables
0: like vegetables and protein yeah yeah so you eat that you're gonna look like work you work you're gonna
1: look like you work out for sure
0: and that's how we can get away with our 15 minute workouts when we have to or like not working out for a couple yeah, of days because we don't have time because we rely on that diet. Yeah, that's yeah. right. If we didn't have that, we'd look like shit. Correct. Just straight up. That's, you know, we're not no, that's superhuman. That's it. That's what it is.
1: And you could, t- I mean, I, I see it sometimes with, you know, you know, work at the gym and you see, you you know, see people come in there and they're probably they're more consistent than me. I hate to admit it. So
0: many are they're more way
1: more consistent than me. And, like, a lot of times that doesn't always, like, correlate to what you see. Mm-hmm. And, e- you know, it's because, like, you know, their diet's not on point, right? Or they drink too much. Yeah, uh, right? And, that, and no yeah. judgment, but ah. that's just what it is, like, since we're talking about Absolutely. it. Absolutely.
0: Right? No and no judgment at all. I, I uh, really cut down on drinking. In fact, I, like, stopped drinking for, like, almost, almost eight months, like, totally. And uh, I used to drink pretty heavily. And now I treat it very much, like, occasion-based. Like, I'll have one or two, like, when there's a reason. And always a good reason, never a bad reason, because that fucks me up mentally. And I feel like it fucks everybody up mentally, too. But uh, uh, I I lost, like, I didn't even know I had 15 pounds to lose. I lost, like, 15 pounds. And probably looked, like, let
1: me, uh, tell me if I'm wrong. Did you feel like you looked a little bit bigger? Yeah. And, like, more, like, more muscular? Yeah. Yeah. I can, so when I'm at, when I'm at about, uh, let's just say nine or 10% body fat, I'm usually around anywhere from 150 to 155. I weigh 165 right now. Mm -hmm. I'm probably at about 14% body fat. I feel great. I I feel like I look great, you Mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. But if I get down, like if I'm really watching and, uh. If I get down to about 10% body fat, and a, those around 155, bro, I look bigger than I do right now. Absolutely. Because of how lean the muscle is and, and defined. just and 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 defined it is. And yeah, vascularity and the muscle separation, it just looks better. It's a hard thing to do. It takes a ton of discipline. It takes a ton of sacrifice, but it really feels good.
0: So yeah, there you are. Full, further proving it's all what you put in your body. It's all you have to build. Your body only has what you give it, right? Well, and not to
1: mention, I mean, just looking good, but feeling good, dude, all disease they're finding is like, it's born in the gut, in your digestive system. So it's what you put into your body, right? Inflammation. I mean, that, that goes, that coincides with the way we move. We move core to extremity. So like health is core to extremity. So like if you're putting garbage in your body. You know what I mean? Just going to produce that. Yeah. Garbage it's in, garbage out.
0: out. Bro, garbage in, garbage Straight out. Straight up. Right? And, and, and in your thoughts, too. And it's the way look, you go through life. Look at all
1: the weird disease and, and obesity and heart disease in this country. Look mm. at all the processed foods we have, man. Absolutely. Look at all the weird shit we do to, like, agriculture and crops and grain and stuff like that.
0: It's fucked up. It is. I mean. It feeds disease, man. You and, Try to sell you drugs. All you got to do is eat right. All you got to do
1: is eat right. We should be getting we should be getting the doctors. It'd be nice if we got the doctors and they were like, "Yo, you have X, Y, and Z wrong," but like, we need to fix your diet and we need to get you exercising. Not like, "Yo, you got high blood pressure. Here's some Lipitor." <laughs> like, well, that and there's why. no exercise plan. There's nothing to go like attack the like root of the problem of like what's going on and what caused it. It's like you don't move and you don't eat
0: right. Right, and that's why we need to tell the kids that. It's why death comes lifting is for the children because the imagine children. if you were taught that when you were a kid it didn't take you this long to figure that out
1: luckily I didn't need to be taught that I needed to be taught about drugs and I, I don't know what I needed to be taught but let's just say I didn't need to be taught that because all I wanted to do was play sports down the street but
0: like yeah.
1: yeah
0: I mean nobody taught me about the dangers of processed foods they were giving them to me and get the fuck to school bitch and all on
1: you <laughs> know but seriously in all honesty like if I'm being honest if I was taught that would you have gave a fuck I really don't know. It's good to be taught that. I'm not saying we shouldn't teach people that. But but if I'm being totally honest, like... You would be like, fuck that, I'm eating Twinkies anyway? I want to... Bro, I was making my own mistakes no matter what. Truth. But if I wasn't... Like I said, if I didn't have that foundation of my manners, my good Christian foundation, you know... the the foundation my parents gave me before i was uh before they split up and i went into like my dark dive into society Mm -hmm. coming back from that if i didn't have that foundation where would i be i I, thankfully i had that to fall back on so anyway to that point of what i just said like would you have gave a fuck like i definitely wouldn't have i know myself i remember dude i had all the opportunities and all the upbringing and knowledge not to mess up i was aware bro I was Me I didn't too. care I wanted to have fun I wanted to get caught up in the neighborhood right I wanted to I wanted to experience that and I got everything I was asking for right but so if you're you're still let's say we're telling kids that right or telling them that right nah, 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 fuck this I'm gonna eat what I want to eat Snickers anyways bro it's gonna hit at a certain point for instance I have uh, so I, I recently uh, I recently trained I trained a lot of high school kids and they're all awesome you know, and I'd love you know.
0: Yeah, I know. Yeah, great
1: recently, had a girl come. It was like the end of her. You know, she's coming in for her senior year, and all her friends had already been there for a long time before that, right? Mm-hmm. And uh you know, I've been training her friends. I've been training her friends, Bella, and Maddie, and Mia, and all these girls, and they brought their friend Nikki down. And Nikki's like, she was a, she was one of the better players on the soccer team. Real serious, real physical girl, but like. She didn't eat. She wasn't on like a special eating plan or anything like that, you know, to begin with. And then like once she started doing that, she like kind of – she experienced a whole new level kind of buying into that. She bought into like eating right – transformed her body completely. So it's great. Yeah, everything about it. I and like that. I just – I thought that was important to mention kind of like – I think so too. Bro, that happened. It's like a superpower. That happened at age 18 for that girl, right? Yeah. And she's heading off to school in the best – Physical, con- uh, physical condition and mental condition she's ever been in, in my, you know. Right.
0: And even if you don't play sports and you don't give a fuck about how you look and you're not, like, you don't care, like, you'd be so surprised how much of effect it has on your mental well-being, your mental state. Like, it's hard to believe when you're not, like, following a diet like that. But when you are, it's amazing, dude. Like, I could never, like, that's something that's non-negotiable for me is, like, I have to eat healthy, like, all the time, right? I just won't fucking eat. Like, yeah. I'll do something else, you know. I mean I'll have cheat meals, I'm not superhuman. Obviously we, we'll talk we could talk about that, but following that base diet of like what you said, if you can't get it outside, don't eat it. You know? It's I, important.
1: Yo, if you're trying to like if you're trying to like walk through life and like be whatever. Like say you're trying to walk through like as lean as possible, like you know, mm-hmm. five, six percent body fat, and it's like okay, for what? I get it looks good, but it's like sure. for what? Yeah. and I'm not I'm not maligning you if you want to do that, but that's no, that's not what we're that. saying, right? Yeah, no. no, neither yeah. do I. But like, you should eat very healthy. Number one, just to feel good and look good, I think, because most people want to. I'm going to assume that most people want to feel and look good. But like at a certain point, like let's say we're eating, you know, let's say we're eating five meals a day. Mm-hmm. right seven times a week so you're eating 35 meals a week If one of the, so say you're like I'm not going to eat a ton of pasta because of all like I'm not trying to store a bunch of fat from all the processed carbohydrates so I just don't eat pasta all the time so okay say you had pasta you know two Saturdays a month say the other two Saturdays you ate a couple of pieces of fried chicken who cares if you ate perfect all the time and didn't have anything you were completely like paleo diet All right. Just use it as an example. Okay. That's great. You're going to look good and feel good. But like, say you're depriving yourself of those other things that are like awesome about life. And like we've, you know, as cultures, we've come up with all these different recipes and it's like, for what are you going to now, if you're on the cover of magazines and that's how you make your living, like you probably should. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. 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 Do your thing. But like, I want to live my life a little bit. I love to cook, and some of those things I like to cook involve pasta, you know, mm-hmm. sauce, butter meatballs, and... some cheese, and butter. Yeah, but like, you probably shouldn't make that the majority of your meals, right? Straight up, that's all. That's it's it's all about. It's 18, all about. 20, yeah, say. finding some balance in your life, and you should enjoy life. It's like I don't drink. Well, I don't. I don't drink any alcohol because you know I don't want my body fibers. If you don't drink alcohol because you struggle with like alcohol addiction, I think that's a good thing that you don't drink alcohol. Yes. If you don't drink alcohol because you're worried about like not seeing your abs, like, I don't know, maybe, and you really like wine, maybe you need to like find a happy medium there. Maybe you should enjoy the things, you know, that, you know, maybe you should have a glass of wine once every two weeks with with your spouse, with your your buddies or your friends. It's, you know, Hey, we're out as a couple or a married couple and like we're out to dinner and it's like you know they have a great wine selection once you have a glass of wine man yeah. relax you're fine we can still see your top two abs
0: straight up yeah yeah you're not no one cares yeah yeah it's all. it is definitely all about balance yeah just live a happy healthy successful life i think i agree final question i'm gonna ask you at least i think it's final question it might go off to something else but i Do always it. like to ask everybody you can are, edit it who are your heroes or and or idols um living dead met them or not doesn't matter
1: yeah i i've never been real big i'm gonna say this and then contradict myself completely but i've never been real big on like sports athletes but growing up i was right but like if i met a sports athlete i would never be like oh my god right right but the uh the two guys i looked up to most growing up were uh mario lemieux and michael jordan Like, I grew up with Michael Jordan. Like, I grew up in the 80s. I was a little kid in the 80s. So, I was born in 79. So, from the time, from 79 to 89, that was my first 10 years. And, like, Michael Jordan came on the scene in, like, 83, 84. So did Mario Lemieux. And, like, right when I took an interest in sports was right when these guys were kind of, like, hitting their stride. And, like, I just thought they were awesome. So, those those are the two obvious, like, every, you know, things, you know, two people that are very, very uh, public that people could identify with that, like... That's the obvious, right? That was low-hanging fruit, sure. especially if you grew up next to me in my neighborhood at that time, same age. Like, those guys were on the TV. They were everything. And then, uh, from a personal standpoint, was my, my grandfather, Pasquale. We all called him Patsy. It's my, my mom's dad, the Italian immigrant. Yeah, He was just this guy that he didn't come over until he was 20, didn't speak any English when he first came over. So he had that thick accent, broken English, and just it was kind of mean, you know? but just was in charge of everything. And he was just like this big figure at Sunday dinners and everything about him kind of fascinated me. I was half scared of him and half like fascinated by him. So he was a big deal to me, uh, growing up. And then one other guy was, uh, my pastor as a young kid, the Bishop of our church that I grew up in Mm -hmm. was, uh, Eddie Donovan was uh, a guy, his, you know, he came up in Homestead, worked in the steel mills and started a small prayer meeting in his, in his apartment, which then formed into the church that my parents met at. And my dad was part of that original prayer meeting in Homestead in this apartment that eventually turned into a church where my mom started coming that my dad met my mom at. And he was the guy that, which wasn't in our, our earlier story that kind of looked out for me through all of my addiction and stuff like that. And you know, never turned his back on me. He was, he was, uh, he was a really, really important and special guy to me, you know, and my mom and my dad, you know, my mom, you know, who was my nurturer growing up. And then my dad who taught me how to work and, you know, how to earn a dollar. Mm -hmm. Those are my, those are my people. So it's Mary Lemieux, Michael Jordan, you know, my grandfather, my pastor and my mother and my father.
0: It's well balanced. Yeah. Especially with thing is with Mary Lemieux and uh jordan is they they transcend sports Dude. you know like that's not just a basketball player Yeah, no. you know that's that's someone you can model your life after easily
1: easy well they didn't just dominate you know? well people tell me like, like when i if i try to talk about mario and it's not even a pittsburgh sports bias uh obviously because i like michael jordan you know it's not like right. i'm not liking him not that there's an option to like a, a basketball player from pittsburgh but like uh the way Mario, the reason I love Mario and Michael Jordan, number one, probably because I was a, I was a kid, right? Mm-hmm. But even now when I watch, like the way those guys played the game, they brought an athleticism to the game that was artistic. Do you ever see? So certain artists will draw the human figure in athletic form as an expression that's just like gorgeous, right? Yeah, and uh. The way so Jordan's like when people are like you know hey do you like LeBron or whatever I'm like yeah, he's good like he dominates but like my my argument would be he didn't play like Jordan like the way Jordan played was so athletically gorgeous it's the same way uh, Lemieux played which is why I liked them both just like would do crazy dynamic things that made it just looked effortless and I always tried to mimic them growing up so I played I loved basketball and I played street hockey right down that yeah. playground. And that's always what I tried to do. Every day when I went down there, I tried to be those guys. So that's – yeah, they, they transcended it for me because of those reasons. Just the way they moved I thought was like
0: – It's badass. Yeah. It's like a martial art in a way. Oh, move, completely. You, you it was know, Yeah, it, like it was an, an art. Choreograph, yeah. It was
1: complete art. Those guys came up with those styles out of their mind and their athleticism that God gifted them and they just like – it's pretty awesome
0: yeah i respect that now being older and having more appreciation for that because i never watched sports growing up or anything like that yeah i, I totally like i know what you're saying it's
1: easy to turn your back on sports in middle school and high school due to what we have around us representing it which is like
0: truth <laughs> truth high school sports you know truth yeah i hate there's it
1: there's a lot there's a lot everything. to dislike about that and, culture
0: you know and your family just getting hammered around the tv, yelling <laughs> at the TV you know it's like gives a fuck yeah right. <laughs> that's how i felt right right yeah you know,
1: your dad's kicking the dog because like you know fucking bubby brister just threw an interception <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah dude, exactly <laughs> so yeah that's my background with sports but now growing up and like kind of coaching them and kind of like playing them myself a little bit with kids for fun and all that shit i have a newfound appreciation for that so in a way that's not you know like i have no team loyalty i don't care about who wins and who loses but that's not surprising at all mm-hmm. knowing you no not at all right <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh man well cheers man thank you for cheers. doing this
1: yeah man well, thanks for having me on. on
0: that that was great
1: thanks man i appreciate it
0: i appreciate this this is this is awesome hey, i hope i hope it reaches people so do i and uh it was just awesome for me honestly like we see each other every day but like how often do we have over 15 minutes to just sit down and talk never you know yeah i this is like unless we make a point to go out or whatever which is rare Because we're so busy and shit. This is just special for me, man. So I really love you and I appreciate this.
1: Same. Right back at you, bro. Love you, too.
0: Hell yeah, man. Yeah. Death, Death comes lifting. Yeah. For the children. Thank you, guys.